Hello. In 2014, an international group of scientists, Elettra Science, published a report on the problems and consequences of global climate change on Earth, effective ways to solve these problems, which highlighted and raised a current planetary issue, the global climate change on Earth. Over the last few years, we have witnessed that the events and forecasts described in the Elettra Science report have been coming true. The cataclysms continue to intensify in accordance with what was described in the report. This prompted us, the participants of Elettra International Public Movement from around the world, to raise this issue at a global level. Let's look at why the climate is changing and what people from different countries are facing right now as a result of the global climate change. Are these issues the problems of some individuals and individual countries, or is this a common problem, a problem of all of us? Are global changes on the planet a matter for generations of the distant future, or is it something that is already happening before our eyes? I'd also like to raise the question, where should we, humanity, direct our attention to in the light of upcoming global cataclysm? What choice do we, as individuals and humanity as a whole, face? Scientists from different countries, from different fields of science, experts, professionals and participants of a latter international public movement from around the world have joined us today in order to openly and honestly discuss this issue and take a holistic look at the problems of climate change on Earth. Welcome to the game of professionals. Climate. The future is now. Hello, dear friends. Today our conference will be held in the form of a game of professionals. This format of the conference will allow experts from different fields of science to voice their professional and personal opinion without compromising their reputation. This format allows us to put forward any theory as well as to discuss them from a scientific point of view and practical experience. During this game, we take the information presented in the programs with participation of Igor Mikhailovich Danilov on Alatra TV, as well as the information presented in the report of Alatra Science on the problems and consequences of global climate change on Earth, effective ways to solve these problems as a hypothesis. According to the hypothesis, we are considering global cataclysms occur every 12,000 years, and today we are in the active phase at the end of another 12,000 years cycle. The report on the problems and consequences of global climate change on Earth. This is the ultimate reality of today. We can only state the fact that the events described in the report are becoming the reality within the specified time frame. In fact, humankind has even less than 50 years. Seismic activity. Seismic activity is increasing around the world. The geography of earthquakes is expanding. Their frequency and magnitude increase significantly. The unpredictability of earthquakes causes tremendous damage to the population of the affected regions. Under extreme conditions, not the event itself is so terrible, but rather the animal-like behavior of people with a consumer worldview. What can we, people, do today in order not to become victims of egoistic thinking tomorrow?
new tectonic continental faults are forming on the planet. Cracks and faults. A sudden appearance of giant cracks and gaps is being observed all over the world. A serious deformation of the Earth is happening. Tornadoes. The merciless force of nature strikes settlements, destroying everything in its path. Tornadoes are getting stronger, and today they can already be observed in regions that are not typical for them. Volcanic activity. Pyroclastic clouds. Mud flows. They pose a threat to nearby settlements, forcing people to leave their homes and depriving them of their livelihood. Misfortune never comes alone. Volcanic eruptions are accompanied by high seismic activity. They provoke formation of landslides and cracks, as well as development of tsunamis. They lead to crop failure, hunger and disease, as well as accelerate global climate change on the planet. Fires. Abnormal heat. Destructive giant wildfires. Abnormal heat. Hurricane wind. Fires burning down entire cities. The fiery force of nature, against which people found themselves helpless, despite all their technical advancements of modern civilization. Disasters are on the rise, and we are unable to withstand them. This cannot be avoided. In the face of a global disaster, the entire civilization, with its wanted technical progress, is nothing but a big soap bubble, helpless before nature. Snowfall, large hail, abnormal frosts. Snowfalls even in the deserts. Africa, Europe, America. There are sharp temperature fluctuations on the planet. Record frosts and snowfalls paralyzed the life of entire regions. Hail, destroyed crops, damaged power lines, buildings and cars. Earth's magnetic field. Anomalously rapid shift in the North magnetic pole relative to the South Pole of the Earth. These significant changes cause serious problems not only in the failure of navigation equipment, but of other electronics as well. What extreme consequences can this lead to in the near future? Melting of glaciers. Glaciers are rapidly melting at the poles. A sharp increase in temperatures has led to prominent reduction in the size of sea ice extents. This results in the rise of the global sea level. 
and changes in the ecosystems. Climate is changing, and tomorrow your normal life will change beyond recognition. Are you ready for this? Hurricanes. Powerful hurricanes of destructive force are striking our planet more often now. The force of nature brings huge masses of seawater onto the land, causing sudden heavy floods, storm surges, mud flows, and landslides. Natural disasters overlap one another, causing record damage to people. This affects all aspects of people's lives and their safety. There is a threat to health and life, shortage of food and fresh water, loss of property and livelihoods. What is it like for those who have survived to start their lives all over again? Typhoons. In the consumer society, even with humanitarian loss on paper, every victim in practice remains facing their own troubles and problems afterwards. Landslides, heavy rains and downpours cause terrifying sudden landslides and mudslides. They take people by surprise. These natural disasters bury roads, buildings, and entire localities under the ground. Tsunamis. Thousands of tons of ocean water sweep away everything in their path. As disasters strike, they result in the death of people, leaving behind uninhabitable coastal zones. Tsunamis entail a threat of environmental catastrophe. Floods. Climate is changing. And it will only get worse in the future. Everyday life of everyone will change beyond recognition. Are you ready for this? To lose your family, your loved ones, your home and your belongings? What have you done today to make tomorrow different for you and your family? We can see that the scale of what happened over the last year is simply striking. The report was released less than five years ago and described events are coming true at an alarming speed. This is noted by scientists from different fields of science from different countries. Moreover, eyewitnesses themselves speak about it louder and louder. Everything that was described in the report has been coming true word by word.
As stated on page 98 of the report, taken into consideration, many factors including the cosmic ones, we're witnessing changes in the geophysical data of the center of the Earth. The core shifts, it heats up, the pressure inside increases, causing the Earth to heat from inside. This contradicts the popular belief that this is heating of the air, CO2, and so on. But we can see from the behavior of the glaciers in the north, particularly in Greenland and Antarctica, that the Earth is heating up and is causing the ice to melt and so on. Ice changes the flow of air and currents. Water overheats, and this is the main moving factor of hurricanes and other things. The upper atmosphere is overcooling in the meantime. Due to the fact that all of this has lost its natural way, we get a huge contrast of fronts, a very cold and very hot ones. This increases the speed of the wind significantly. We already have hurricanes of category five and need to come up with the sixth, seventh, and so on. At the same time, the number of seismic and volcanic activities is rising. Among the cataclysms that were voiced in the program Climate, the Future is Now, and the ones mentioned earlier, we've also heard of melting glaciers, which today they often say is caused by human influence on the climate. Clearly, there is a human impact on the ecology, but it is very little. Speaking of percentage, if we consider all processes that are happening on Earth nowadays, it is less than 1%. By the way these glaciers are melting, we see that the change in atmospheric composition is not the main cause of this process. In other words, it's not the increase of CO2 or the air temperature increases, etc. As a matter of fact, NASA satellites also show that the upper atmosphere is actually cooling down. In addition, if the air temperature increase is happening, it's not uniform. That is, it's not happening everywhere at the same time and it's actually getting cold in some places. The Greenland glaciers are melting from the bottom to the top, which means they are melting because of the heating of the rock inside. The same thing we observe in the Antarctic, where, in reality, new temperature record was set this year at minus 140 degrees Fahrenheit, minus 100 degrees Celsius. At the same time, glaciers are melting three times faster than they did before. In addition, according to the official data, the sources of heat were discovered under the ice and identified as being radioactive. There is also a concern that a number of volcanoes are now being activated under Antarctica. In fact, there are a lot of them in Antarctica. There are over 90 volcanoes. Chemical analysis of the water indicates the presence of chemical elements, particularly helium-3 and others, which raises a concern that a volcano under Antarctica is now waking up. If this happens, regardless of what people do, what the level of CO2 is in the atmosphere, these glaciers will melt and this will cause serious catastrophic consequences. So, if it was only due to the human factor, would these glaciers melt so rapidly? Most of the events that are taking place now have almost nothing to do with people. Glaciers covering 10% of the Earth's surface play a key role in maintaining the planet's climate balance. Glaciers on Earth are distributed very unevenly. The giant ice continent of Antarctica contains almost 90% of the total mass. Greenland contains a little more than 8%. The total water supply on planet Earth is 1,390 million cubic kilometers. 
Glaciers contain 70% of fresh water. Fresh water from mountain glaciers in the Northern Hemisphere passes through the Arctic Ocean and enters the North Atlantic. There, it affects the global circulation of ocean waters. Melted fresh water will cover the upper layer of the ocean, since the fresh water is lighter than seawater. This will cause the slowdown or complete stop of the Gulf Stream. In addition, mountain glaciers feed many rivers in different parts of the planet Earth. Since mountain glaciers are rapidly melting, this can lead to a reduction of drinking water supplies. It's no secret that glaciers are melting and faster than scientists expected. Every day we meet glacier news. In some parts of the world, glaciers breaking off. Global sea levels on the rise. Small islands are being submerged. Scientists are looking for ways to stop this process. Scientists have calculated that if the entire ice cover melts, the global sea level will rise by at least 60 to 70 meters, which would mean a global catastrophe. The coastline will shift significantly, and current coastal zone of all continents will be underwater. In climatology, there is an expression, the closer to the poles, the more climate change is visible. But today we see a variety of natural anomalies at all latitudes and parallels. What impact do glaciers have on the climate of the planet? Ice sheets reflect sunlight from the Earth's surface into space, thus limiting the absorption of solar energy by our planet. Accordingly, if the temperature rises, huge ice blocks melt and reflect less light. The Earth's surface heats up more, making more ice melt. If there were no glaciers, the average annual temperature would be much higher. Glacier melting also stimulates volcanic activity. The release of volcanoes from glacial ice grip reduces the pressure on magma and brings the eruption closer. In order to melt the entire glaciosphere, it will take three times the thermal energy that comes from both the sun and bowels of the Earth accumulated during one year period. Lukas, a participant from the Czech Republic, has a vivid example of what is happening now. Lukas, could you please share it with us? The rapid melting of glaciers continues in Antarctica. A new crack has been discovered that will lead to the formation of a new iceberg, twice as large as the New York City. Over the past hundred years, the glacier melt rate has increased by three times, and the tendency continues. Lukas was talking about an iceberg that is larger than two New York cities, 420,000 acres. If it breaks off, it's going to have a significant impact on the way the entire glacier will disintegrate. Today, there is evidence that cracks are formed. Only if there is both an external effect from above, that is, rapid change of temperature, warm to cold, and an internal effect from the inside of the Earth, that is, heating. Otherwise, the crack wouldn't have formed. There is scientific evidence of this to date. Also, Igor Mikhailovich, well, what is now happening on Earth? There are numerous earthquakes. Of course, the entire arena of fire is simply shaking now. And the magnitude of earthquakes is increasing, as well as their frequency, and people already observe them in those regions where this hasn't been typical at all. 
and people describe and confirm exactly what was said in the report regarding the fact that Earth will be split. That's what we are observing now. A big number of cracks, a big number of craters all over the world. The neutrino emission is also a particularly special topic now. You know, it is a new one in scientific circles. The fact that Antarctica is pierced by a flyover of neutrinos of extremely intense power. As a matter of fact, the neutrino emission has started long ago, and this is mentioned in the climate report. It's just that the flow has now increased to such an extent that it can be detected. But this is actually… it's not news. It's just that, you know, the intensity of what is happening staggers by the fact that people don't believe. They refuse to believe that it's coming from the Earth's bowels, because if this is really so, then it's quite scary even to imagine what processes might be reflected on the surface very soon. Well, they are actually reflected. Why does the water go away? Why do cracks in the soil appear, as you say? This is basically a single process. After all, in actual fact, intensification of rains, drought increase, climatic changes, so to say, tropical rains which started in our region, all these are a single process. It cannot be considered separately, you see. This is like, well, let's say an organism. An organism is an organism as a whole. If we take one organ, forgetting about the entire organism, we will never cure it. Right, there is also… It's the same way here. Yes, and we sort of understand, well, what global warming are they talking about, when we see that it's even snowing in that very Africa, in Algeria, in Morocco, in Saudi Arabia, right? Meaning some people aren't warm. However, temperature is increasing. Yes, for some… The overall average temperature is increasing. This causes melting of glaciers and many other events. Well, this is just one of the parameters that can be measured and can be seen. But many things are happening which, let's say, people don't notice so far, but it is global. Hello, friends. My name is Vladimir Alexeyev. I'm a photographer, a traveler. I'd like to share with you the following information. There is a very clear understanding and realization that what Igor Mihalovich warned us about is unfortunately true. This is really happening on our planet. It happened that I myself became an eyewitness of all these events that are taking place on our planet. Due to the nature of my work, I travel a lot. Over the past few years, I worked closely on one project that was associated with work in the Arctic and Antarctic. Several years ago, when I got to the Arctic for the first time, specifically to Greenland, I was faced with an interesting situation. After talking to local residents, of the first settlement where we arrived, it was clear that very strange climate changes have been happening even for the residents of Greenland. Because in recent years there has been virtually no ice during summer in the bay near which the village was located, which has never happened before, and the water level has risen. And in the recent years they have had such severe social problem, which may sound a bit scary, but it is still the truth. And it is a social problem indeed. For example, on this Wobat archipelago, it is forbidden by law to die. No matter how trivial and funny it may sound, it is due to the permafrost and the fact that if a person dies on Swobat and is buried there, it attracts polar bears. In Greenland, there is a similar situation, but exactly the opposite. 
Of course, it's a different country with different laws. In recent years, due to warming, melting of glaciers and sowing soils, polar bears began to come to local cemetery, being attracted by the smell of decaying bodies. People were forced to establish such a profession as a polar bear repeller. That is, this is a special person who walks around the perimeter of the cemetery, which is located near the village, and scares polar bears away. This situation really struck me, and we began to talk with the captain of the yard on which we came. He told us a story that, for example, returning to the same Svalbard, this archipelago is interesting because, according to statistics, there is three times more polar bears than people. Many nature lovers go to Svalbard in order to shoot polar bears. And the captain of this yard told me that for the last couple of years in those places, west of Svalbard and closer to the very north of Svalbard, where pack ice has always been located, you could see a lot of polar bears. Now this area is absolutely free of ice, and this situation amazes absolutely everyone who has ever been to this archipelago, as well as scientists who have been observing this situation. So we talked with him about this topic. He suggested one interesting scene at first glance. He suggested that the ice melts in the Arctic, but at the same time it is growing in the Antarctic. That is, the ice cap is growing, and therefore some balance is maintained on the planet. A year later I went to Antarctica, and I began to talk to the crew of the ship on which we travelled around. And the cook told me that he has been in these waters for years, talking on these shores. He showed me one glacier and showed me where this glacier was four years ago. So I can tell you, I certainly didn't measure it exactly, but according to estimates, in four years the glacier retreated somewhere on the order of probably eight kilometers. Then we anchored at the Ukrainian Antarctic Vernadsky Station. In general, employees of Antarctic stations conduct observations of nature. They measure various readings in the atmosphere, in the soil, the behavior of the animal world, etc. They gather various scientific data. The biologists from this station spoke about the fact that in recent years they have again observed abnormal migration of penguins deep into the continent. That is, different species of penguins used to be living in slightly different temperature regimes and climatic conditions. In this case, it is clear that the closer to the South Pole, the colder it is. So penguins have moved in whole colonies and migrated deeper into the continent closer to the South Pole. This suggests that climate change is indeed so large-scale that it makes colonies of thousands, even tens or maybe hundreds of thousands of animals simply live where they have lived for centuries and move to new places. Thank you. We would like to hear an opinion of Elizaveta Hromova, a geologist from Moscow, regarding the nature of melting glaciers. Were glaciers melting like this 12,000 years ago? 12,000 years ago, a very abrupt melting of glaciers took place, and it is very interesting how it is being studied. The glaciers of Greenland, Antarctica, high-altitude glaciers, and the ice that we see now keep their history for 110,000 years. Holes are being drilled in the ice, and cylindrical tubes of ice are taken out to take a look at different core layers. The point is that these glaciers and the ice from them are very good paleothermometers. They show the climate temperature of the past and are very well correlated. If you take the ice from high-altitude glaciers or from Greenland, for example, Layers of gas bubbles or layers of dust can be traced in the ice as footprints of the same events that took place all over the Earth. And exactly by these markers in this ice, 
it was determined that 12,000 years ago there was a climate change. It was so rapid and severe that it even exceeds the climate change that is starting now. It is interesting that in the interglacial and glacial periods the climate changes much more smoothly, but such abrupt changes occur only during certain events that are being marked in ice cores. Thank you. The history of paleoclimate can be studied through the sediments settled at the bottom of the oceans. Scientists have already determined that certain kinds of plankton live under specific climate conditions. When they analyze these core samples, just like they do it with ice but off the ocean floor, these samples showed that there was a drastic climate change around 11 to 12,000 years ago. Also, the foraminifera were different, which showed that there were warm and cold conditions, as well as a rapid increase in temperature. We would like to hear some information about the effect of the melting ice caps on our planet and humanity. Regarding the impact of the melting ice caps on our lives today, besides the fact that melting ice caps increase the ocean level, what has already been said. Breaking of icebergs also leads to desalination, because ice has less salt, and the concentration of salt in the glaciers is less than in the oceans. So the ocean water becomes less salty, affecting thermohaline circulation. This circulation, just like its name says, depends on the temperature and the concentration of salt in the water. Okay. So the density of water depends on its temperature and saltiness. More dense water sinks to the bottom, while the less dense floats at the top. This thermohaline circulation, if we summarize, is the system of all ocean currents. If the density of water changes, then so does the ocean currents, which can be observed today. Besides that, the temperature of the ocean has risen dramatically. This can be especially seen in Australia, where the temperature of the ocean has risen to the point where it causes the destruction of the Great Barrier Reef. So, reefs of the world ocean are decaying, and this process has reached a critical point from which it's impossible to turn back. What is the danger of this for people? The life of about a quarter of all sea creatures depends on those reefs. It's a very big number. And if reefs disappear, then the ecosystem of the ocean will change. Besides that, reefs are natural barriers that protect the shores located in close vicinity to the reefs from storms. So if reefs disappear, then waves will be bigger and storms will be more destructive, causing more danger to communities on the coastline. There are a series of events and they are all interconnected. One of the most obvious is the melting of glaciers. This in turn causes an imbalance among many things. For example, the polar vortexes. Let's imagine that this is our planet Earth. 
And before, a few years ago, when the glaciers were not melting so fast in the north, the polar vortex were located near the Arctic Ocean. And during the winter, it travelled to lower latitudes and came back up. But it looked very smooth, without any changes and so on. And that process was stable. Now, because the ice in the north is melting, and some waters are clear of ice, the ocean warms up more. And because of that, there is a disbalance of temperatures in it, inside the Arctic vortex. There are gaps in it, and it also changes its form. Now, instead of just moving in a straight circular motion, it moves sporadically. It looks more like a torn-apart blob. Therefore, we see that near the northern latitude, it can be very warm, plus 20 degrees Celsius, for example. Whilst further down, in the regions where it is usually warm, there easily might be frosts, snowfalls, and so forth during the same time. Also, all of it causes the disbalance of salinity of water, which affects the currents, particularly the Gulf Stream, which regulates the warm climate of Europe and parts of Northern America. So it was mentioned, and we also know since school, that the Gulf Stream is responsible for the warm climate in Europe. We have Anna on the line. Can you please comment on the situation regarding the currents? Does global climate change also affect the currents? The Gulf Stream is a powerful warm current which is located in the Atlantic Ocean. It consists of even smaller warm currents. The Gulf Stream begins its movement in the Gulf of Mexico. Then it goes around Florida and moves north along the east coast of North America. I repeat that this is a very powerful current. It has a length of approximately 10,000 kilometers. Because of it, the temperature in the northern Atlantic is 5 to 10 degrees higher than at similar latitudes in the Pacific Ocean or in the southern hemisphere. The warm waters in the Gulf Stream affect the climate at Western Europe and eastern shores of North America. That is, it softens the climate, makes it warmer. Today, the Gulf Stream is slowing down, this is a fact. This was stated very clearly by Igor Mihailovich Danilov in the program Sigridot. It is coming. As it was already mentioned today, there is a very rapid melting of glaciers. This causes fresh water to fall into the Atlantic Ocean and it kind of suppresses the Gulf Stream. Thus, the Gulf Stream cannot give away its heat, which it would if it was on the surface. And it's due to the fact that it has slowed down today. Why do they say that this is some kind of a horror story? That this is some kind of a scary story, if this is reality? And those who write this, are they ready to answer to people? Are they ready to take on this responsibility? In 2017, I interviewed Kirill Georgievich Levy. He is a doctor of geological and mineralogical science at the Institute of the Earth's Crust in Irkutsk. There was an article published on another website, geocenter.info, based on this interview. It says that the warm and shift Gulf Stream, which act as a furnace of Eastern Europe and Western part of North America, has stopped 10,000 years ago during the last Ice Age. And during the same time, large mammals like mammoths has gone extinct. And as it was said in the report on another-science.org, 
extensive natural cataclysms happen cyclically on the planet, and they have happened before in the history of Earth and human civilization. So even from this interview, a strong conclusion can be made that these processes are cyclical and had happened before. Thank you. Thank you. Here we have one more proof of process's cyclicality. In other words, we understand that this process has certain cyclicality. And it's unlikely that people were producing big amounts of CO2 12,000 years ago. It is clear that the solution to this problem is not in what media is telling us every day. On March 13th, the United Nations Assembly took place in Kenya during which a press release focused on the study of Arctic glaciers melting was issued. It said that regardless of human activity, even if tomorrow we stop producing greenhouse gases or interfere with the ecology, in any case, glaciers in the Arctic will melt and, according to certain models, this will happen in the next 10 years. People have said it officially that soon the sea level rise will lead to flooding of coastal areas. Also, in this press release we have a quote from one of the participants. With your permission, I will read it. The urgency to achieve the goals of the Paris Agreement is clearly manifested in the Arctic, because it is one of the most vulnerable and rapidly changing regions in the world. We need to make substantial near-term cuts in greenhouse gas emissions, black carbon and other so-called short-lived climate pollutants all over the world. So, what is this saying? Just earlier, the same press release said that the influence of human activity has no effect, that this process cannot be stopped. But at the same time, here we have talks about the necessity of compliance with the Paris Agreement. So, where are some sort of helping measures for those people who live in those coastal areas which will suffer flooding? Where are the words about cooperation, about mutual support? To tell the truth, we just hear talks about Paris Agreement which are not followed. We know that you are participating in the Climate Control Project, and together with the team you inform others about the cataclysms that are happening around the world, or, to be precise, you analyze them. You've been working on this project together for a long time now, you analyze and connect with other scientists, and you've done a lot of work. Besides the fact that you're experts, thank you very much for your work, you've grown even more because of what you do. You started to understand more, learn more. Human-wise, what do you notice lately? How was it before and how is it now? We see it everywhere. No matter what field you look at, everywhere you see an increase, everywhere you see some sort of anomalies. So there is an increase in, I don't know, in the magnitude of earthquakes. Droughts are happening more often. The level of the world ocean is rising. And more importantly, all of this is happening very fast, faster than scientists predicted. So whatever scientists said five years ago, in two years they have to make new, actual focuses, which would fit into this tendency. But they are always lagging behind, unfortunately. Definitely, it is the fact that the temperature is rising on the planet, 
and people are observing it. The rise of the temperature is the reason why there are a lot of tornadoes. If the temperature rises, so the atmosphere can take more water. So here we have the increase of downpours, the amount of the hail is rising as well. The hail actually is big in size. The information from the breaking news shows that here was a hail and we have a lot of, of this kind of news. It is wrong to close the eyes and to pretend this is a norm. It was always like that. To tell the truth, all the processes on the Earth are connected in any sphere, right? The temperature of the ocean or the atmosphere, it affects the whole planet. And it's obvious that if it rises here and here and there, we will have a chain of reaction, and these aspects strengthen one another. I wanted to share with you my observations as well. So, being a part of climate control, I have analyzed a lot of information, and a lot of information is being collected and processed. We are checking it with scientists. So, we face strange phenomena while preparing information for the release about glaciers or about magnetic field or another different fact which affect information of the climate. The big amount of the information suddenly appears, and it's real deal. So, the same situation occurred with glaciers. During the time when we were collecting, connecting with scientists, we saw an image which was really intimidating for the people, and it's definitely a fact. There was a time when we wanted to find an information and to understand, just for ourselves, what is the reason for that. We were observing from different directions why the climate is changing so fast, because actually it's not a common situation when the climate is changing really abruptly. And for me personally, it sounded absolutely unconvincing that it's happening because of greenhouse gases or because of manufacturing. After all, we can say about the same production, which was 12,000 years ago. Can't we say that it was? Firstly, we say that the civilization wasn't enough developed. Secondly, even 100 years ago, the manufacturing wasn't that developed. Nevertheless, CO2 was increasing back then, and it still does. I've realized for myself that it's a consequence. How is it possible for a glacier to melt, and we are talking about CO2, which is in the atmosphere? For me, it was unclear. I was searching for a reason, and we have to come to the conclusion that it is a cycle. Because we can observe these cycles not only in the climate on the Earth, we can see them in space, they can be small, long and very long. So it repeats fractally. So we can see it actually. So again, for me personally, it's quite unclear about how is it possible for CO2 to affect nuclear reaction in the core of the Earth. And why it was told in summer by scientists that there is an increased surge on neutrino generation but the scientists don't want to admit that neutrino is emitted from the core of the Earth, and they don't know how to explain that. So, it means there is a flow of neutrino, right? This flow of neutrino. Scientists can see it, but deny it. Why is it so? Is it fear? What is more important, fear or the future of humanity? The process itself on the planet, it is connected together, you know? That's when the process of movement of plates begins, then they are all activated. This process, 
Where does it come from? What activates it? It is activated by the core of the Earth. This is the release of energy from the core. When a powerful release of energy occurs in the core, there are convective flows in the mantle, that is, flows that in the form of convection spin on the mantle, and they move these plates. And when this core is activated, after some time this energy passes to the surface of the Earth, and then it starts to activate all the plates. This cycle provoked by the core of the Earth. It is clear that simply, for example, solar activity cannot move the plate. It can create certain ring currents in the mantle, it can create certain energy surges in the core of the Earth, and this will lead to corresponding movement. That is, it is more global in nature, and therefore, when we talk about such global processes, we must understand that this cyclicity is global. It leads to periodic, as I said, changes in the radius of the Earth. The Earth is deformed periodically, it breezes, and this cyclicity, it is one, it is global for our entire planet. Therefore, we need to somehow try, perhaps, to wake up society early, to wake it up now, without waiting when everything has already happened and nothing can be done anymore. But it is now when we should prepare in advance for the appropriate movement, for the corresponding natural disasters and so on. Lately, we are observing an increase of volcanic activity. The only thing is, this is not registered the way it is usually done so. That is, the statistics of past years do not tell us that volcanic activity is increasing. But we see unusual seismic activity and we see a series of eruptions in Southeast Asia. And we see the results of volcanic activity at the bottom of the ocean. That is, these are volcanoes that in principle are not visible to the open eye. They are noticed only by a very small group of specialists. Seismic activity has changed drastically. And if quantitatively more or less the number of earthquakes remains the same, magnitude is increasing significantly. That is, now there are many more earthquakes with magnitude 6 and above. And as a result, we see things like deep-seated earthquakes along the ring of fire which, at the beginning of the 20th century, were generally considered unprecedented. That is, they practically did not exist and were not even known about them. And recently, once a month, we see deep earthquakes at 500 to 600 kilometers in the Philippines, the Sea of Okhotsk, and along other parts of the Ring of Fire. We also see more frequent tsunamis that appear as a result of earthquakes with magnitude over 7. Plus, as I said, Along the Ring of Fire, we see deep earthquakes. We also see in areas where earthquakes usually do not happen, there are swarms. These are small magnitude earthquakes that occur in big numbers. In fact, these earthquakes are the most dangerous because they speak of more severe events that these zones can't expect. If there are swarms of small earthquakes near a volcano of some kind with a small seismic magnitude, this could mean that the volcano is ready to explode soon even though, on the surface, it may not look so bad. Yes, truly, like Ivan said, volcanic activity is increasing at the bottom of the oceans, and also in the polar regions, which causes the ice to melt. Also, it was said in the news that the ground temperature around the Yellowstone caldera is increasing, and there were images from the space showing a decline in vegetation due to the increasing temperatures of the ground of the topsoil. This is also an indication of the processes happening inside the Earth, 
and it is not an anthropogenic factor. I'd like to add about Yellowstone. At the beginning of April, on April 1st, information was published that a new thermal area developed on the territory of the caldera, and a notable number of trees are being killed by thermal processes, so the earth gets heated from the inside, and vegetation can no longer grow, so that's why it is happening. Besides that, during the last three months, there have been some anomalies observed around the steamboat gather. There is data that seismic activity in the Mediterranean region has been increasing. This is due to the tectonic structure of this zone. The thing is, the African plate is moving towards the Eurasian plate, and this is the stress zone. There are some unusual places where one plate is being subducted under the other and other where they are colliding. In other places they are shifting. And the borders of Greece, Italy and Turkey are located exactly where these tectonic faults are. The pressure in these zones is slowly increasing, but it can be released momentarily. And this will lead to very strong earthquakes, tsunami, and to the activation of volcanic processes. Elizabeth, could you please tell us whether those seismic as well as volcanic changes which you are observing now, are they dangerous to humanity at this time? Absolutely. Those catastrophes which, the beginning of which we are already noticing, poses a great danger if they keep developing at the same speed they are happening right now. This also includes melting of ice caps, which has already been mentioned. This will lead to catastrophic outcomes, just like the number of earthquakes. There are also supervolcanoes on Earth, an eruption of which could destroy the whole humankind on Earth momentarily. Thank you, Elizabeth. Could you please tell us whether it is possible just to ignore these changes? Of course not. It's necessary to unite the efforts and monitor so we can see unbiased information about these events. It's also necessary to study the cyclicity, as it's wrong to assume that we can just decrease the anthropogenic factor. It has an effect, but a small one. And generally, the reason for all cataclysms that we are observing now is astronomical and planetary cyclicity. The term cyclicity has been mentioned in our conversation multiple times, and we've been talking about cycles and climate, about radical climate changes and anomalies, but once again we would like to figure out the connection between cyclicity and climate. What is cyclicity after all? Everything in our lives is cyclical, and we see it in the cycles of life. Something gets born, something dies. We see it every day when morning is followed by night and so on. We also have a change in seasons. We have such notion as month, as the rotation of the moon around the earth, as well as the notion year, as the rotation of the planet around the sun. One minute is also a cycle. It's a rotation of the arrow which completes a cycle. And we have short and long cycles, like the cycle of the sun is 11 years, 22 years, and 12,000 years. 
There are also cycles of Milankovitch, such as 100,000 years. There are also galactical cycles that last 250 or 225 millions of years. Therefore, everything in our lives is subject to cyclicity, repetition, and as such. Things can vary a little from time to time because conditions are never identical. Nevertheless, very similar conditions are created during certain periods of cycles. There are certain cycles that were named after a Serbian scientist who, let's say, discovered them. To put it simply, Milankovic's cycles are related to the amount of heat that Earth receives from the Sun as a result of the tilt of the Earth's axis over a certain period of time. In this case, we are talking about axial precession. And of course, besides that, as the planet travels around the Sun, it moves now closer to it, now farther from it. And this affects the geophysical processes in the core, which in turn affect the processes in the magma related to the magnetic field. Moreover, they are influenced by cosmic radiation, which also affects climate change on planet Earth at a global scale. I'd like to quote the report on the problems and consequences of global climate change on Earth, effective ways to solve these problems. The global climate change on Earth is mostly a derivative of astronomical processes and their cyclicity. This cyclicity is inevitable. The geological history of our planet indicates that the Earth has already repeatedly experienced such phases of global climate change. Truly, there are many kinds of cycles, like Ivan just said, and when overlapping, these cycles can either strengthen or weaken each other. And what makes our time special is the fact that many cycles are overlapping, strengthening each other, and that's what we are seeing today and will continue seeing. We are talking about certain cycles here, based on the hypothesis outlined in the report on the problems and consequences of global climate change on Earth, effective ways to solve these problems. And could you just clarify which cycles we are talking about? How are they connected to cataclysms? How are they related to the time we are living in now? What was happening before? We should mention two cycles. One is 12,000-year cycle, and another one is 100,000-year cycle, which is also coming to an end. And we live at the time when the end of both cycles overlap. Research in different fields of science indicates that the end of every climate epoch is characterized by very serious changes, namely cataclysms. Cataclysms in the literal sense of the word. For instance, this can be observed in geology, astrophysics and paleoclimatology. But the question is, what happened to people at those times? What did human civilization go through? And I believe this question has to be considered seriously. What are we facing as a civilization? How are we entering this period? And what will be the outcome when we leave it? An understanding comes that we as humankind can't affect the change in climate, the upcoming catastrophes and anomalies. It would be good to know what was happening during the previous cycle, what did people go through during the previous cycle on the planet. As it was already said, 
climate started to change dramatically 12,000 years ago, as well as melting of the ice caps. During this time started one of the biggest mass extinction of mammals. It is also interesting that using paleomagnetic analysis, during the same time geologists noticed the starting change in the magnetic poles. They were shifting, and it was happening 12,000 years ago, just like 24,000 years ago. It is also known that, for example, 72,000 years ago, the number which is also a part of a 12,000 years ago cycle, there was a super eruption of the Toba volcano in Indonesia. According to the data model, this led to an extinction of 99% of people living at that time. This was about 72-74,000 years ago. By studying precipitation from the bottom of the oceans, which accumulates very slowly, a few millimeters over a hundred years, scientists reconstruct paleoclimate. They figured out, for example, when studying the layers of the Indian Ocean, that there is a cyclicity of about a hundred thousand years, which can be observed during the last five hundred thousand years. Five cycles that have already finished, and judging by the graph, a new cycle has started, and we're entering the epoch of less global ice, as it can be learned through the isotopes of oxygen. Studying the layers of the Indian Ocean confirms the 100,000-year cycle through the analysis of this radial area which changes its own composition, as well as the isotopes of oxygen-16 and oxygen-18. Once the crafts were constructed, a clear correlation was discovered. And during the past 500,000 years, there can be seen five cycles, 100,000 year long, with very defined borders. And looking at the graph, we can say that we're now at the very beginning of the next cycle. Also, about 12,000 years ago, the Laurentide ice sheet started to melt in North America, and the Great Lakes were formed as a result of it. The water flow was first directed south, and later there was some sort of a global cataclysm, evidence of which can be found in the deposits. There were found some coals with micro-diamonds in them, and elements like iridium. And as a result of this big cataclysm, rivers that had their flow in a southerly direction got blocked, causing Lake Ontario to overflow. As a result, the Gulf of St. Lawrence was created, flowing east and causing the water runoff of the Great Lakes change as well. It was a big global cataclysm around 12,000 years ago. The Niagara Falls developed around the same time, which scientists have proved that they formed around 12,000 years ago. Thank you, Olga. There is a question. Please tell me. What about global climate changes in the previous cycle and in general? Do you think that they are happening gradually, or were these rapid and possibly sudden events? 
Due to the study of these marine sediments in all oceans, in the Pacific, in the Atlantic, and in the Indian, in all the oceans, the cycle of like 11-12,000 years can be traced there. And everywhere it is emphasized that climate change was very sudden. We know that cyclicity is characteristic to the glacial periods as well. Yes, we can say that the glacial period is a consequence of global processes, astronomical processes that take place in the solar system and not only in it. It is very interesting. Now our participants spoke about sharp changes which are observed, were observed 100,000 years ago. And also digging deeper on this topic, we managed to find such a fact. Scientists talk about so-called biosphere rhythms. These are the rhythms when, say, the composition of the biosphere changes. Thus, the calcium stage and the carbon stage are singled out. And it lasts just about 100,000 years. And it is the end of the biosphere rhythm that is characterized by a sudden, abrupt change. This suggests that very sudden changes occur cyclically every 100,000 years. That is why I emphasize the word sudden. Because when I observe statistical data, changes in climatic anomalies on the planet, more and more often I hear the words sudden, unpredictable. That is, science, as much as it wishes, could not warn people about them and predict them. That is, it shows that they are already happening now, these sudden changes. And they are growing and becoming more frequent. Meaning, how can we, people, go through this period? Is there any evidence of global climate change from archaeological finds or history? Hello. I'd like to tell you about one interesting mysterious archaeological find, the age of which was determined with the help of the Spilothem, the stalactite, and it was the stalactite that recorded a date of such climatic catastrophe as the flood, the Aramegalitic underwater structure near Yonaguni Island, Japan. They have received a definition of Yonaguni monuments or Yonaguni pyramids. They are located at the depth of 25 meters under the water and were discovered by scuba divers in the mid-1980s. There have been disputes over whether the structures are man-made or a natural phenomenon and how old they are. And there is an opinion held by a professor of geology at the University of Tokyo, Teruaki Ishi, that the terraces submerged at the end of the last ice age, that is more than 10,000 years ago. A cave with stalactites was found near this monument, and it's now under the water. It is known that stalactites grow only on the mainland. Scientists have found that the growth of the stalactites stopped when the cave was flooded with water and happened no less than 10,000 years ago. That is, stalactites stopped forming no less than 10,000 years ago. So, accordingly, this is the time when this continent and this monument submerged. And this even corresponds to the estimates of scientists of the changes in the world ocean level. It turns out that stalactite as a natural chronicler, as such a natural 
archive recorded the date of the climate disaster, such as the flood. In addition to speleology, I would also like to talk about some evidence from archaeology, which confirms these cycles. To date, there is evidence in archaeology that significant climate change have occurred in the past. The ancients knew about climate and tried to pass this knowledge to further descendants in different ways, encrypting them in certain archaeological structures and presenting them in teaching and religions. Also, archaeological finds prove that ancient civilizations were developed enough and possessed the knowledge of astronomy. It is also interesting that there is connection between the Giza pyramids and the architectural structures of Angkor in Cambodia. In 1996, John Grigsby discovered that the main architectural structure of Angkor in Cambodia corresponds to the Northern Draco constellation, and Robert Billboard, a civil engineer, discovered that the three great pyramids, Hufu, Kefa, and Minkora, correspond to the Orion's belt asterism. Graham Hancock, a researcher, and Santa Faya, in their book, using a computer program, found that the Temple of Angkor accurately replicates the sky in the era of 10,500 before Christ. And at that time, the Draco constellation was high above the horizon, in the north, in the center of the sky. And, for example, using a computer program, they found out that the three stars of Orion's belt were at the bottom of the horizon. And it turns out that the temples and three pyramids and the temple of Angkor structures, they point out one day, 10,450 and 10,500 years before Christ. Also, the structures themselves were built in a very different time. Is my understanding correct that archaeology also confirms that we are at the end of the 12,000-year cycle? Yes, it does confirm it. It turns out that these constructions point out the precession of a cycle and half-cycle. It is when constellation Orion is rising while constellation Draco is going down, and it appears that ancient people left us, the humankind, some sort of a mark which calls for our attention, letting us know that humanity will soon be put to a serious test. And it's necessary to be, let's say, more cautious about it and friendlier. And these are important points that are imprinted in these structures and architecture. There is an interesting fact that was proven by Professor Robert Scotch from the University of Boston. He proved that Sphinx has traces of water erosion, particularly erosion from atmospheric precipitation meaning very strong rains, and Egypt stopped having this kind of rains thousands of years before the construction of Sphinx, that is, in 2500 before Christ. An independent American researcher, John Anthony West, believed that Sphinx cannot be younger than the last Ice Age, so it would be any time before 15,000 years ago. It is also surprising, in the construction of the Temple of the Valley and in the temples of Sphinx, 200-ton blocks of limestone were used, and it would be very hard to replicate this kind of construction because there are only a few cranes in the world that can move 200-ton blocks, and even the place itself, the Plateau of Giza, it's very hard to perform a construction on. You know, this is very interesting information. However, according to today's official version or history, primitive people were living at that time. Where did they get this information, this knowledge from? And besides, how would people be able to survive the cataclysms if they were primitive, 
How, after all, people were able to survive these global cataclysms, which we've heard about more than once? What other information is being discovered by archaeologists? And what other traces are left from the previous cycle? What other evidence is being discovered in archaeology? Actually, very interesting evidence was found in various calendars, like the lunar and solar calendars of different nations of the world. For example, the Indian lunar-solar calendar starts in 11,652 BC, and the well-known main calendar starts in 11,652 BC. Also, if we look at the Indian and Assyrian calendars, they begin at approximately the same date, 11,542 BC. And what's interesting is that all of these calendars have absolutely different cycles, and they end at completely different times. But the start date, when scientists analyzed it, they understood how they were made up. And when they counted these cycles backwards, the start date was coming to the same number. What kind of conclusion can be made out of this? That there was some event that became the start date for all these calendars. Furthermore, to dig deeper, these two dates that I have mentioned, year 11,542 BC and year 11,652 BC, are just the start date or the end date of a cycle, some global changes and global cataclysms on Earth, are just the start or the end date of a cycle, some global changes and global cataclysms on Earth. Also, we can find the information about cyclicity and serious climate changes in all scriptures, in absolutely all sacred texts of all the nations of the world. For instance, in the Bible we see such verses about the flood in the 600th year of Noah's life on the 17th day of the second month. All the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the floodgates of the heavens were opened, and the rain fell upon the earth for forty days and forty nights. What's interesting is that the flood had been mentioned one thousand years before it was mentioned in the Bible. It was on the Sumerian clay tablets. In the morning a shower poured, and at night I saw the rain of grain with my own eyes. I looked at the face of the weather. It was scary to look at the weather. The first day the south wind was raging, quickly flying up, filling the mountains as if overtaking people in a war. One can see the other. The legend of the global catastrophe can be found in ancient European texts in Egyptian sacred scriptures, in India, that is absolutely everywhere. In all Mexican and Indian tribes we see these references as well. In Codex Chimalapopoca, the text of one of the ancient Mexican tribes, occurred cataclysms were described as follows. The water and the sky drew near each other. In a single day all was lost, even the mountains hid under the water. The Greek epic tells us that during the flood the ground was shaken. It says, some were looking for high hills, others sat in the boat and worked the oars, where recently they ploughed. Others were taking fish from the tops of elms. In the sacred book of ancient Iranians, the Zendavesta, it says, during the flood, water around earth was at the head of a human. Well, more examples can be given. We can also see the flood mentioned in the Quran, as it was sent by Allah unto the unfaithful ones, the ones who forgot Allah's commandments. Cyclicity can also be seen, for example, in Zoroastrianism. 
According to the theory of Zoroastrianism, there is a 12,000-year cycle, and this is the creation, and is divided into two parts, 6,000 years each, which are further divided into two parts. And what's interesting is that the first 6,000 years, exactly half of the cycle, there is a peace in the world. Ariman, an evil spirit who tried to attack spiritual beings twice, was defeated. The next cycle, or the second part of the cycle, to be exact, which is also 6,000 years, is defined by a battle between good and evil. And by the end of this cycle, the battle intensifies, and the end of this all is a so-called separation, when pure spiritual beings go back to their Creator. We also see a reference to the 12,000-year cycle in Hinduism. It's presented as a day of the god Brahma, which lasts 12 godly years, and it's divided into four unequal parts, four periods that are called Yuga. The first Yuga lasts 4,800 years and is called the Golden Age. The second Yuga is 3,600 years and is called the Silver Age. The third Yuga is respectively 2,400 years, the Bronze Age. And the last Yuga lasts 1,200 years, and it's an Iron Age. And what's interesting is that we are living in this age now. It ends, let's say, abruptly, and it says in Hinduism that serious global changes occur at that time. From all said above, a conclusion can be drawn that our ancestors knew about what was coming and conveyed this knowledge by recording it in various texts and legends. And this time, the end of the cycle that we have been talking about, a cycle of 12,000 years, has been named differently the end of times, the judgment day or the crossroads of time. It's foolish not to draw conclusions from what we got from previous generations and what is so widely depicted in various ancient scriptures. Indeed, it is amazing how the information about cyclicity and the cataclysms our ancestors knew about. This information was available at different times, different peoples and different continents. We understand that this information is available now, the same as in the past. Yes, indeed, Svetlana Yelena shared such information, which, on one hand, broadens the understanding of what happened in the history of our planet in the past, in the history of our society. Because talking about natural phenomena, we should not forget that at that time there lived people and they experienced these changes and they somehow coped with them and something was happening to that society. People report in sources from different continents and cultures and point out the same time period, 12,000 years. We can also make a conclusion that these are the processes that humanity cannot influence. That is, it does not depend on human activity. It depends purely on cyclical processes and natural factors. That is, it is inevitable. What we are facing now is also inevitable. And it is happening now. That is, it is not what will happen to the next generation or in a generation. It will happen to our generation. Another very important point. We here really set description of what happened 12,000 years ago. But now we are at the crossroads of two cycles, a 12,000-year 
and 100,000-year cycles, which according to the information is accompanied by much more serious cataclysms. That is, to sum up, firstly, it is inevitable, secondly, there are coming abrupt and unpredictable changes in nature, and thirdly, we must openly talk about that and look for the ways to get out of such climatic trials with dignity, as mankind, as a civilization. Professionals from different fields of science confirm that we are living with you in the time of the global climate changes, at the end of the current 12,000-year cycle. We're all talking about the fact that this is inevitable. This is confirmed by archaeological finds. Before us, there was not one civilization. They tried to warn us about that. The ancients called the times of the completion of 12,000-year cycle the times of the last days. Harbingers of the end days. What is coming true? Spiritual and moral decline of humankind. The Holy Scripture of Christianity, the Bible, says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, slanderous, brutal, not loving good. In the ancient religion of Hinduism, it is said that in the last epoch of the cycle, Kali-yuga, practically all desirable qualities will gradually diminish in people. It will be a dark age, when a person's spiritual position will be ascertained merely according to external symbols, and on that same basis people will change from one spiritual order to the next where a feeling the belly will become the goal of life, and impudence will be accepted as truthful. Harbingers of the end days. Terrifying events, earthquakes in various places, acceleration of time. In the Gospel of Luke it is said, there will be great earthquakes, famines and plagues in various places, as well as terrifying events, including significant signs from heaven. In Islam it is also mentioned about the Judgment Day, Al-Qiyamah. In the Hadith it is said that the Prophet, may Allah bless and welcome him, said, the hour will not happen until earthquakes increase in number and time passes quickly. The Puranas, a sacred text of ancient Hindu literature, 
These ancient legends say about the horrors of the end of Kali Yuga, that during this period the citizens will suffer greatly from cold, wind, heat, rain and snow. They will be further tormented by quarrels, hunger, thirst, disease and severe anxiety. But even in case of the most positive outcome indeed, in just a little while, the time of the crossroads ends, and if humanity chooses the path of spiritual development, the path of unity, if everyone, who is alive at least a little bit, stops being silent and unite, even then we won't be able to avoid the most of the disasters that are already chartered, so to say, but we'll be able to survive. However, we'll be able to survive only together. As it is said in the book Alatra, the knowledge has been given to a person, and his choice and action depend only on him. And changes in the whole global society depend on actions of every person. For all living people, this is really the last remaining chance to spiritually save themselves and the civilization. What was voiced in the video, isn't it what we are seeing now? Isn't it the current time in which we are living? And, of course, the question arises, are people ready and will we take this chance, which is given to everyone and all of humanity? Summarizing everything that has been said, we come to a conclusion that the cause of climate change is cyclicity. The climate changes that we are already observing are already growing. Global catastrophes are inevitable. The question arises, but what about people? Are people ready for this? We understand that tomorrow there will be more global disasters. Yes, indeed. An example of the fact that disasters are not so terrible as human selfishness, which is exacerbated as a result of these disasters, is an earthquake that occurred in 2010 in Haiti. This earthquake claimed 222,000 lives. But the worst thing is that most people did not die from the earthquake. But simply on the street for a sieve of water, for bread, simply from banal looting. And people were just standing in multi-kilometer skis and dying on the street. 
And it is also surprising that this information, information about the earthquake, was known to many neighboring countries, but, unfortunately, no one helped. And there was no help even from the Haitian authorities. That is, this fact clearly indicates that truly egoism is something to be afraid of in the first place, especially during the global cataclysms that are taking place now and their dynamics will increase. Yes, in fact, what Vladimir was talking about now, it happened in 2010, in Haiti, on January 12th. As far as we remember, and as indicated in the report, on the problems and consequences of global climate change on Earth, effective ways to solve these problems. And I was on visit there, three years later, it was in 2013. And I can honestly tell you that it felt like the earthquake happened just the day before. The state which people were in, as Vladimir already mentioned, Okay, those were psychologically depressed people with dull eyes. There was definitely no joy in life, and the conditions in which they existed at that time in 2013 were terrifying. Even approaching the island itself, it seemed to us that we were walking on the ground because it was water, but it was so full of garbage, it was kilometers of garbage that, in principle, no water was visible. No one was ever figured out this question, because people in general had no time for it, as they didn't have any food there in 2013. Even though it was discussed and there was a widespread call for help, you brought rice there, and while some people were packing rice, in the evening other people were coming stealthily trying to steal that rice, and they gave a little bit of power to some people. They got weapons, and they started threatening their peers, who were just in the same conditions as them, but now possessed some power quite differently. And it was evident there that there were few human relations, Unfortunately, for example, even at the port people were kept. You know, I apologize for my expression, but I will tell as I saw it. People were kept like rams in a stall. It was fenced off crowd of people, and when a certain amount of work was required, they were simply invited and they came through. And people were ready to fight for work. They could go unload rice and earn a little bit of money to feed their families. We were forbidden to go out in the city as the situation was deplorable. The loading was ongoing, the looting was ongoing, and we were told that we could get kidnapped and won't be able to come back there. And the help that was sought from the authorities surprised me. I asked why tanks were brought on ships. They said to fight the people because authorities have no other way. At that time, I clearly saw a situation where if people understood the value of life then, in principle, Principle. These problems could have been solved. And as it says in the report, that today's number one problem, and it was clearly visible to me at that moment, is a person zombified by a consumerist attitude, neglect of some else's life and care for the self only. In fact, people were not ready for this cataclysm. And three years later, in principle, they were in the same condition. This is what I saw with my own eyes. Thank you so much. Here you are listening to this and asking yourself, where was the help of the international organizations that was widely announced at that time? It was just that everywhere at that time on television, then it was told about what kind of help was coming from one international organization, from another, that there was so much help. And here, this man, you were just sharing what you saw with your own eyes, and the situation was the same as if it just happened. And really, the question arises, what about those international organizations that people count on, that were shown everywhere on TV then, doing something? 
Where were they then? It just makes it clear once again that you shouldn't shift the responsibility to someone else. You shouldn't rely on these international organizations that really should help people. Indeed, this is what has been announced by them. We can only hope for this very humanity, for what will happen between people when they are really left to themselves. And now we just face the facts. We could say, why do you have to give such bad examples? On the other hand, this is the reality. This is what people have chosen. Why are we really talking about it and asking these questions in the video? Are you ready for this? Who have you raised within yourself? What dominates within you? Are you dominated by a human or an animal? Even though it's a choice of people, it's a shame it happened. We see the example of Haiti mentioned above as what is happening in our society now, where the majority of people choose animal behavior. That's why the question is really pressing. We can take look at any country, what is happening now in other countries, where people are also facing the same serious cataclysms. At that moment, without working on myself and without understanding this value, I had a dismissive attitude towards those people. There was no understanding of what had happened to people then and what kind of critical situation they were in. But on the contrary, there was only judgment and arrogance. Only now I'm beginning to realize that I might be in their shoes tomorrow. And an important question for myself is how I will behave then. The example you were telling us about the rice is quite impressive. This is one of such many cases when some resource, whether it's rice or some, I don't know, money or water or something else, it becomes more valuable than human life. And why have we reached such a point in the world that some resources, temporary resources, became more important than human life? Everyone can answer this question to himself. The most interesting thing is that all these resources, such as food, electricity, water, can be easily and quickly replenished. There are so many of them that not only Haiti, but any African country altogether can be fed and even conditions to be created where these resources can be reproduced in sufficient quantities. And basically, we can completely remove such notion as hunger and need from the dictionary. That is real. In this case, we are talking about a country which is basically considered to be a third-world country in this world. That is, what happened in this country is probably explainable. The country is so poorly developed and, let's say, the level of development of human relations in this country is low. But in fact, if we look further, we basically see the same level of human relations in developed countries as well. The problem is not really with the climate. The problem is primarily in the man himself, in his egoism, in his zombie-like nature, with his consumer thinking, accumulation and syndrome of ostentatious consumption, when a person simply thoughtlessly buys some goods. But for what? In order to amuse his own pride, to show that he is better than anyone else somehow. Well, this is true. For example, let's look at what is happening in Northern America when there are days of sale. People are willing to trample each other in order to buy something which costs $5, but not 10. And there are many cases when then people were really trampled. There are cases when people were wounded with a knife, not to mention 
that people spray tear gas into each other's faces. For what? In order to buy some trinkets, which cost $5 but not 10 and then in two days it will be returned to the supermarket again, because you didn't need it. The point is that we don't talk about these examples and we don't show that there are different situations. The situation with Haiti is sad, but we simply have to learn the lesson from it for ourselves, that this kind of behavior leads to nothing but suffering, deprivation and ultimately to death. I am sure that there are other examples which are needed to talk about and show that there are examples when society has united and went out from some kind of a critical situation. We were in Florida in 2004 and in 2005. And in those two years, we had many hurricanes that came through. We actually in Fort Lauderdale took a direct hit from one of them and were without power for 20 days. Everything was shut down. I watched things happen, some good and some not so good. Fort Lauderdale, we had no warning. The storm that came wasn't supposed to be a hurricane. And it went from a tropical storm to a category three overnight and it came across land when it did it. So it was unprecedented. They, they could not believe that it had done what it did. Katrina, on the other hand, was a massive storm and everybody watched it coming. People were told, get, get out of there, get out of there, get out of there. Now, some people chose to stay. They just thought they had to stay to protect the property that they had somehow. Some people didn't believe that it was gonna be as bad as it was. And some people had no way to get out. They had no transportation out buses that should have been used to haul people out of there and get the buses out of harm's way ended up you know being in the water as well so it, it was a, a bad situation on on many levels as hurricane katrina came in people had minutes it filled that area with water so quickly there just there wasn't really any way for people to get out of there and so a lot of people died but people came with their boats, they came with whatever they could to start getting people out of the water. Helicopters came to start picking people off of rooftops. And you would see in the news, although they tried not to really show it, but you would see people being rescued and right next to them were bodies floating in the water, people who didn't survive. And of course, you, you had all the animals that didn't make it. And so all of the chemicals and all of the stuff that was in the water, it was, it was toxic. The water was, was completely toxic. And so they, you know, they were trying to get people out of that water. And the only place they had to take them was a great big stadium that was high enough where it was kind of out of the water. Roads were gone, bridges were gone, and they had to shuttle them by boats to get them to this arena. Now, one would say if the government, the powers that be, FEMA, the emergency structure in our country knew that this massive storm was coming, why didn't we have preparations? You know, why didn't we have supplies in place, in places like that arena? But there wasn't anything. And they just kept funneling people into that, uh, that great big stadium you know, the, the everything else around it was underwater. There was no food or water. Why that wasn't brought up, you know, immediately, I don't know. It was very hot and people were texting and sending pictures out on their cell phones. So we were seeing what was happening in there. And it, 
it became a really bad situation. Instead of people pulling together and helping each other, helping treat the ones who were wounded, helping you know, do whatever they could and sharing what they had, it became a, a situation where people attacked people. They had kind of bands like the other gentleman was saying, bands of people that were going around and there was there were rapes and there were, you know, aggressive attacks and there were thefts. That whole experience, people died in there for lack of food and lack of water and just lack of medical care and mistreatment. And all of that should never have happened. We found out later that there were semis, big semis, full of supplies for the people there that were parked less than 100 miles away on the interstates, just sitting there running. And no one ever gave the, the order for those trucks to go in and deliver what they had in there while people were dying in there. No one took the initiative to just say, get those supplies to them. After it was all over, there was an inquiry, a bipartisan inquiry where both factions of the government look into this and they found basically failure on every level of government, failure to act, failure to respond, every level. And many of the people who were involved ended up leaving office or being charged with, you know, any number of, of things that they should not have been doing. And so we saw this symbolic, symbol, uh, symbolism, this example of how society melts down rather than coming together, rather than, than knowing that they're only going to survive it if they can come together. And, and not the whole, not the whole society, because there were, like I said, the, the Cajun, <laughs> Cajun Navy, as they call themselves, showed up with boats to try and rescue people. And they wanted any hurricanes and uh, floods, and they show up, they come, and they come from you know, areas of the South and they just show up and they just take their boats and they go and they help people. So, I mean, there were still examples of goodness in there, but that is a situation that should never have happened. And then I think part of our biggest problem is that we have a media and every person is responsible for this. It isn't a them against us. It's everyone is responsible. We have a media, an entertainment system, whether it's movies or videos or games or even the news, that puts out the worst of the worst human behavior in the form of entertainment. And so it takes away that shock that we should feel when people act that way. We should say, this is not right. We should never act this way. And so it numbs people to this kind of behavior. And the other thing it does is it says, it's entertainment. I'm just going to sit and watch. And that's what people did. They sat and watched because that's the message. Our news puts this stuff out every single day. It comes and it comes and it comes. And the message is there's nothing you're going to do about it. Go on about your life. Make sure you lock your doors and whatever but go on about your life and somebody else over here who's responsible to take care of this will take care of it. You know, just go on about your life, go to work, you know, live your life. Again, the wrong message. We should be taken aback by all of this. This should not be normal in any sense. 
of the word normal. Let's do something a little, a little bit more up because we do have a contingent of creatives in this country. We do, and they're, they're creating. They are not the biggest part of the conversation yet. They're not the loudest voice, but they are coming. They're doing what they do. People are, there are people who are focusing on helping each other. And this is, this is where we have to go. This is where we're going to have to go in order to, to come together with these. No matter what happens, no matter what wind rocks our boat, to be able to, to hold each other and, and move through it. Dear Natanya, thank you very much for your experience, for your opinion, deep feelings, for your vision not only of the situation in the USA, but also in our society as a whole. One instinctively asks the question, because we're talking about the deceased in general, there are hundreds, thousands of people, and a question arises, would I like to become a simple statistic tomorrow? Just somewhere in some kind of news bulletin. If people behave this way as a result of such disasters, a paradox arises. In order to survive, people fight for life, survive, but at the same time destroy their own kind. What is the value of life, then? If we destroy each other, then what do we live for? What is the value of life? You know, I would like to add to what the speakers had said earlier, that an understanding develops that we rely on those authorities which people usually call forth in unusual situations. The government, social services in the case of migration or refugees, I don't know, the Red Cross also. Well, there is, there are a lot of such instances, but people always call them and understand them as something, you know, abstract, inanimate. If you think about it, people are behind all of these authorities. A lot depends on the action and choice of each person in this organization. I was very touched by what Natanya said, that where they were trying to save their lives, nobody had issued an order or decree to bring people provisions. After all, it was some kind of person, one, two or several. That's what we forget about it. We say organization, but these are people. If every person in these very organizations is humane, he will not think about some kind of profit or how he will be evaluated or judged. But first of all, he will think about the most valuable, the most important, the life of people, and not only his, but also of others, even strangers. That could be a small step towards our salvation. Unfortunately, examples of negative interaction among people took place not only in Haiti after the earthquake in 2010 or Hurricane Katrina in 2005. If we analyze the largest disasters of the 20th century, we can observe examples of looting and cruelty happening in all countries. And many people have a stereotype that examples of negative interaction only happen in poor, undeveloped countries. But in reality, if you read the statistics, read the news in the media, doesn't allow cover true information, the number of victims and the consequences of disasters are often underestimated. Nevertheless, even after reading what is in the media, we can notice that disasters occurred in different countries, regardless of their social level. What is said about this? is that a lot more people die as a result of choosing an animal mind model of behavior rather than from the catastrophes themselves. 
tsunamis, floods, earthquakes, tornadoes, and so on. I would like to give a few factual examples. I'll immediately make a note that these data on victims and injured are taken from what was indicated in the media. But as we analyzed, particularly when preparing the climate breaking news, this data is often not true and is much underestimated. But I will mention this to simply understand the scale of the disaster. Flood in China in 1931, 4 million dead. But the worst thing was number of victims that occurred after. These were people who died of hunger and epidemics. Tropical cyclone Paul in 1970. A 15-meter wave was spotted. 500,000 people died in a short period of time. Most of them were elderly people and children. So these are the most vulnerable sectors of the population. As already mentioned, Hurricane Katrina, the death toll was 1,800. During evacuation, not everyone was able to leave the city. It is clear that these were the poorest segments of the population who simply couldn't get a vehicle or move to another city and find housing there. Sulawesi, Indonesia, on October 2, 2018, 1,234 people died as a result of the earthquake and tsunami. Massive examples of looting, negative examples of people's interaction, when they simply robbed the humanitarian aid provided, were noted here. That is, people on the road took away what is intended to save a large number of people. Philippines Typhoon, 2013, 5,700 dead, 11 million injured. After the typhoon, the authorities delayed the provision of humanitarian assistance. That is, there is such an example that even when providing humanitarian aid, there were barriers to receiving it. Another point that I would like also to briefly mention is that in the report we have information about the great Japanese earthquakes of magnitude 9. And just as a brief fact that people were warned 11 minutes before the disaster, what I would like to note is that often people hope for the government, that someone will come and do something. But in fact, if you find these examples, just ask more. Then we see that no government will come, save or protect. Each person should be ready on his own, first of all, to help the other unite and survive together. After all these examples, I would like to ask a question to every person who even thinks that cataclysm don't happen today, that this may be later sometime in the distant future. But as it was said in the video with Igor Mikhailovich Danilov and in the report on the climate, it was said that the disaster will occur in the coming years, not millennia, not decades, but in the coming years. And so, if each of us honestly ask a question, are we ready for these disasters, if we cannot unite in a fairly peaceful time? People often rely on the help of some organizations, the state, some technical capabilities of their country, some kind of security. And the examples given earlier show that there is really no one to rely on, nothing to rely on. And the question arises, why does someone owe me something? Question, what am I doing? And not that, what will I do when disasters come to my house? What am I doing in the present, now, in the present moment? Because I would like to recall that our program is called Climate, the future is now. And we are talking about the fact that cataclysms already happen, that already thousands, millions of people are climate refugees. We are 7 billion people on Earth. How each of us chooses what values he lives. And how we, with this particular moment, 
here and now, shape our future. Refugees, you're watching just a video, and your consciousness is saying that this doesn't concern you, while someone is going through it right now. Can you be sure that tomorrow this won't happen to you, and you won't be a part of similar disasters? And someone will be watching a video with your participation, and just like you now will doubt that this is happening. Refugees, people without bread, without a penny in their pockets, are forced to illegally migrate to other countries in order to survive, while you are now being warm and comfortable. Consciousness is telling you, who needs poor beggars, and even more so in my house? But the truth is that this is a common misfortune, and it will affect everyone, including you. And tomorrow you, together with them, will be looking for a safe place to survive. Now you're looking at this as at something alien, but tomorrow you'll be forced to walk among this crowd. And after tomorrow, you'll be forced to live together with those whom you came to, and who wasn't happy to see you. You wonder why this is happening now. Where is the civilized attitude towards people? Where is the help of international organizations that must take care of people? Where are they? Where is it all here and now? The truth is that the bureaucrats to whom the society entrusted the solution of these problems are also people of consumer thinking, who sit and watch videos in their cozy offices. And instead of actually helping people, they keep writing fakes for the world mass media. But the reality is that already tomorrow they will be walking alongside you among the crowd of refugees and repent that they did nothing when they had the opportunity to change a lot. And this is inevitable as the sunrise. All you've seen is just a part of the events that took place within one year. And if you don't want to notice this, if you turn away from other people's misfortunes, then it doesn't mean at all that tomorrow this won't happen to you, your home, and your family. The scale of climate change that awaits humanity is truly enormous. Any climatic catastrophe always involves migration, a migration of people. People who are looking for security, people who are seeking protection and food. If we all become victims of great climate catastrophes, what will be the scale of migration? Today we are not talking about thousands, hundreds of thousands or millions, we are talking about billions. Do people know about this? Do they know what to prepare for and how? What do official institutes say about migration? Let's face it, modern society is not ready at the moment. We can see what the mass media are showing us. And, for example, last year, the UN issued a report in which it says that by the end of the 21st century, there will be 250 million climate refugees. However, they're mistaken, because what we are hearing today indicates something else. And honestly, as a parent, 
as an ordinary person, I see what's going on now. Groups of people are looking for something. Do you know what will happen when at least a million migrate? Imagine what it will be like. What will we eat? What will we drink on this trip? Nothing. Are you ready for it? What will happen to our children? We care for ourselves, but what about my family? And it is so important for all of us to understand that we need to answer these life's questions now, either live or else, either live or else. This is the number one problem at the moment, and if we do not start to do something about it, there will be no future. We know that the Global Risk Reports has been released, which indicates that the main issue already now for the coming years is a sharp climate change as well as climate migration. And it doesn't say anything about people, children, what happens to them after these disasters, how do they live, and overall, what should we do? After all, we understand that global cataclysms in the whole world, they do not occur locally, only somewhere on one side of the world, somewhere. It really concerns everyone. And here I have a question. Why is there such a discrepancy? Why do we, such important issues that concern each of us, humanity in general, why do they come to a second or third level in comparison with some economic benefits, earnings, let's say, some financial confidence. And this made me really rethink, reevaluate how society lives today if we are provided with such information. And how do I live? What are my values? Since we are talking about migration, the migration of billions of people, the question arises, where will they migrate? Who will meet them? How they will be approached? What happens when a billion people move in search of a safe place? Who will be at the borders? Will there be any borders? And how will we approach each other at that moment? We also watched the video Climate the Future is Now with the participation of Igor Mikhailovich Danilov. This forced us to rethink a lot of things. And the question is, why did we decide that we would host the others, the ones to whom the others would come? Why not I would have to go? And I would like to share my experience of working with migrants because it would seem that Germany, right, is a fairly wealthy country and with a good social infrastructure. And in general, let's say, people living in the country feel quite confident. And when back in 2015, as a social worker, I found myself in the center of events when a huge number of people had to migrate to Europe, only a few million people compared to, let's say, around the world, when some countries accept refugees, well, about one-third and sometimes half of their population, only a few million have migrated here. And what do we see? The infrastructure was completely unprepared to accommodate such a large number of people. There was no time to accommodate people and have their documents ready. This, of course, is one such external side. But people were not able to get the essential and most necessary medical care. Of course, people who have traveled hundreds of kilometers, who have suffered from military events, need, first of all, psychological support. That is, not only some primary essential needs, 
such as shelter, food, warmth, and some kind of protection. Of course, this is necessary, but also a common human support. Because right now, in 2019, I observe the situation when only after a few years, and let's say people have already more or less feel comfortable in the country. That is, they have a place where to stay, they received some material support, but nonetheless, people here, with whom I had a chance to talk to, people feel like strangers, they do not feel themselves as part of the society in which they are now, where they live. This is such a severe trauma, when you're forced to flee your country, you find yourself as a stranger and absolutely useless to anyone, and there is no one who can help you, you just end up one-on-one -on -one with your problem. When I asked people if they were prepared for these kinds of events, the answer was no, of course. No one could imagine that suddenly, very suddenly, their lives would change dramatically, and of course, their values would change too. Because a lot of people lost their loved ones, their families, and they suddenly had to start their lives all over again. Often people think that while refugees are some kind of ragamuffins, that they are ill-mannered, uneducated, people who have never had any wealth, but when you talk to people, you realize that they are the same people as you are and that anyone may find themselves in their shoes, including myself, at absolutely any moment. You understand that all the stereotypes that you have heard, that have been instilled in you, that you have had, that they have absolutely nothing to do with reality. It was a very valuable experience to get this information firsthand and see that even in developed countries, which are considered today to be some kind of benchmark or example of being, we understand that the most important thing is not how rich people are or how much material support they can get, the very same refugees, but the attitude with which these people are met. I was also a participant in several conferences and international meetings that were devoted to solving some sort of administrative issues. We often heard the phrase that this is not a refugee crisis, this is a crisis of our unpreparedness. And first of all, our human unpreparedness. Although many meetings were devoted to how the infrastructure can be adapted to these rapid changes so that people would feel comfortable. In general, there were really sincere thoughts to help, to do something, but all tasks and all, let's say, conclusions tended to the fact that it is not a problem to find a way out in certain cases, in some cases to share something, to sacrifice some comfort, sometimes to stay an extra hour in the workplace just because people are waiting, people really need this kind of help. All of them were talking about, first of all, lack of a simple human attitude. It doesn't matter whether you're a tourist, a migrant or a refugee, especially a refugee. If you are in a foreign country without knowing the language or anyone and without knowing anything, you need support. Then, when you go, let's say, to the cash register or somewhere else, or to the administration, where you need to see a doctor, first of all, you would like to see a human being. First of all, you want this human-like attitude, an ordinary human support. Isn't this our general human need to care and give help to another person? And how did it happen that we began to approach all the issues, resolution of, let's say, to problems of refugees from the point of thinism? 
Friends, you know, this will certainly be unpleasant to hear. But even today, we have already heard a lot of evidence that we, as a society, are absolutely unprepared for global climate disasters. This is a bold statement, but it must be accepted. This is our reality. Only by accepting this will we be able to move on and find solutions. We are not ready for global climate change. It would be useful for us to watch an interview with a seismologist and a pastor, Dr. Kennedy, who would share what the refugees faced in Nigeria. So, uh, talk about the, the climate change over in, in, in this part of the country. The major thing we are noticing now is just about the, the, the desertification. As in, in some area where you, before that were full of uh, trees and forests, what you see all over the area now is all about, all you see just um, the, the, the desert all over. The Fulanese men, they are all, all over the place. Some of them are armed and all that. So climate change has actually driven them away from where they were, from that part of Africa, any part of the country. And they are coming here. They are, they are a lot of issues there. In fact, there are some communities that we have worked, especially, in fact, the government have to give us uh, armed soldiers to go to because the, the, our explanation is one of the key priority of the federal government at the moment. So they have to give us enough security. Now, if you give me one or two minutes, now, if I just I can go as I call almost about three to five soldiers to come and show you so that I know even why right here in the office now they are out there to check everywhere we are. Now, the Fulani men, they are armed with AK for the same anywhere they are. Because I don't, I don't really know they, are, they have they have armed and ammunition. So what they do, they go to some communities and most of the time drive the whole community away take over the whole land. Say, please, hope you are going to come back because that most of I'm going to, once I get to Abuja, the nation capital, I have to call for security once I'm co co coming to work. It's as serious as that. I'm sure that these people from Niger, they also want to live in peace, but something that can don't let us to be people, you know, people to each other. Do you believe that actually people themselves, like in Nigeria, in Niger, by like maybe changing themselves, by remembering that they are human, first of all. Do you think they could solve this problem? You, are, you have just said the, the exact truth. When I go out to the field and I see the kind of uh, people that follow these cartoons, at times I, I, I share tears. You know, when I see some of the children, I feel pity for them. They, they, they don't go no access to education, no mm -hmm. access to good. They, they drink the same water that their cattle drink. When you see them, they, there was a time I went to the field, I saw one of them. I said, ah, I, the boy was so weak. I said, I was trying to, because I don't hear their language. I have to ask through an interpreter. Have you eaten today? He said, I was not eating. What has he eaten? He has only drank the milk of the cow. Of, of the cow. That was the only food they are eating for the whole day. No, there's no lot of poverty in this environment and all that. So the truth is that the government, the Nigerian government, the Nigerian government, and all these African government, 
they are doing little or nothing to better the life of these people. Unless you and I, unless you and I can actually come together to be of help to these people, nobody knows they exist. And whenever election period is coming, just like as it is now in Nigeria, the government are out, they will use them because they belong to the same tribe, youth tribe and religion to incite them. At the end of the election, that is all. They are left. So I believe actually what we need, we can peace. That, that's, that's what I stand for. I stand for peace. We can live together. It doesn't matter our tribe, our religion, or our disposition. God has created us as one individual people. So we can live together at but but now it takes it takes a lot of effort and it takes a lot of ability to be able to talk to these people because these people have already they have been radicalized. You must therefore express to them that you really love them, you want to help them. Because if they don't see you as coming to help them, nothing you tell them that make them think that look, there's no need to fight. What are we fighting for? Moreover, the land you are fighting for, you will die and you leave the land. You're not going anywhere with the land. The cattle you are trying to protect another, one day you die, you leave those cattle. So why can't we live together while we are here on earth and live in peace? So I think we need, we actually need a lot of, uh, we need a lot of work to, to do to, to, to bring that peace to them. That's my take. So when you arrive in another country, you have to consider the laws, rules of that country. So some people, when they arrive in another country, at first they are welcomed, but in the end they are outlawed. What does that mean? There are often cases of aggression, cases of rape in the camp where they live. On the other hand, in the society in our country, in Cameroon, there are people with a good mentality and there are the ones who don't have a good mentality. So there are such people as well, yes, there are those who are welcoming others and those who aren't, and sometimes they are aggressive to those who come. You see, uh, when people have immigrated in their country, it's a, it's a, a problematic uh, system. Uh, you see children are being used like uh, slaves. You realize that uh, women uh, have been abused because uh, they are weak. They can't say anything because they are in, the, in your country. And uh, you realize that uh, at times uh, those people have to protect uh, the immigrants. Uh, uh, they are not doing what they're supposed to do. And uh, I want just to take a simple example. <clears throat> in Libya, I don't want to focalize on country, but uh, everybody know that. In Libya, uh, there are some Africans who were sold by slaves just because uh, there was war in their country, they were trying to, to reach to Europe. Immediately they arrived in Libya, uh, they were arrested. 
accomplished by slaves. So. Trying to uh, cross the border. Yes, they were sold. And used like, as slaves. Like slaves, they were sold. Everybody saw it in the media. It was atrocity. It is uh, 2,000 years now we are to see those type of damages, those type of uh, criminal acts. It's difficult to to think. At times, uh, I have a, my eyes to cry to see that people still behave like that. You see, it's, it's not good. So those guys, they are leaving their country because uh, they don't feel good. There is war. At the time there is war, instability make them to run to have. Uh, not a better life, but uh, a place that they can live peacefully. Then they realize that they, they will be arrested in Libya and sold by like slaves. Children have been raped. Women have been raped. This is what is happening. We know that, for example, in Africa, there are a lot of people who are trying to cross the border to reach Europe. What is their fate? More often, instability is faced. There is also physical instability. What do I mean by that? It's when you can't travel freely. And what stops you from travelling freely is the fact that the country is in a state of war. Yes, this also exists. There is also, so to say, economical instability. Some big countries of Africa have this economical instability. So, people can't feed themselves and can't provide for their family. What do people face while traveling? I mean, what kind of problems? How do they communicate with people? It's difficult. These are the things you can't understand. It's terrible. Can you imagine when someone leaves Côte d'Ivoire and wants to arrive perhaps in Spain or, let's say, in Italy? He must cross Niger and should arrive in Libya. And there you meet people who are called guides. And these guides will take money from you. But there will be a moment when they leave you alone in a desert. You are left alone in a desert without food or water. Can you imagine what comes next? Guys die like that. And there you go. So, cruelty exists among people towards each other. We gave enough bad examples. But we also must underline one important aspect because we were talking about migration. Nothing should be hidden. Society does nothing to save these people. Society does nothing to save these people. Love is love. I can tell you that everyone who immigrated to our country, whether from European or neighboring countries, there are enough occurrences. We are united in love. And we accepted them with love because we show this love. This means that if there is no love, then there is no warm welcome. But where is love? There is a warm welcome. And this is Cameroon. We have land and there are immigrants who come and build on this land. We give it to them and we live together. 
and I kept this. And you kept it. And you sold some of this land and gave away just as much. So, there is this love that unites people of Cameroon. Yes, it's also respect. Where there is no love, there is no warm welcome. We've seen a lot of different things in this world. That's why I wanted to get back to this moment. This is love for us. It's the power, ideal, perfection, moving force. This is what love is. Thank you very much. I wanted to add that we have interviewed scientists, many scientists. One of them is our friend Giuseppe Mastro Lorenzo. In one of the interviews, he touched upon the issue of how the media covers the times of global catastrophe threatening our society. We discussed the example of a supervolcano, Campi Flegre, which is located in Italy. There is a supervolcano which recently, in recent months, has increased in its activity a lot. The composition of the gas has changed, its magma composition has changed, there is a seismic swarm, and no one says anything about it. And Giuseppe said that there is a lack of ethics among scientists. That is, having ethics implies that a scientist should do work for people, for society. But for some reason scientists do not do this, for some reason they are hiding the facts. Because scientists, as our friend Giuseppe Mastro Lorenzo said, and research institutes are funded by the government. It is not beneficial for the government to talk about it, because it stops many investments and research projects. Therefore, people in the media prefer to keep silent about the fact that a catastrophe can happen at any time. On the other hand, people themselves, the population, are not at all interested in these problems. That is, people living near volcanoes now, in fact, all of humanity is simply on the verge of an abyss. Not only those who live near Campi Flagre or on it, people live right on it. But people are not interested, as Giuseppe said, and this possible disaster has always been seen by people as far-fetched, because they have problems with work, health, housing, or with something else, but not with what actually is the most important, universal problem of humanity. The problem is the consumerist worldview. The problem is that people simply put material values before it all, which, as Giuseppe said in an interview for our Breaking News project, are pseudo-values. They are not true values and lead to a great catastrophe for all of us. How likely is another serious eruption of the Flagrian fields in our time? Of course, in the future, some serious eruptions of the Flagrian fields will take place. Because the Flagrian fields are a zone of increased temperatures, there will be more eruptions. What is difficult to predict is that the eruption will occur in the next years or decades. It is really hard, impossible to predict, 
There are no criteria, even if geological past is a key to reading the future. That is, what happened in the past will appear in the future. In the flagrant fields, we are worried about the possibility of Plinian eruption. This is a disastrous event that could put three million people at risk. A Plinian eruption will involve a huge amount of energy. The volcanic column, in the shortest hours, can reach the stratosphere. The flow of magma can be hundreds of thousands of tons per second. And the most dangerous phenomenon is hot clouds and pyroclastic flows which in a fraction of a second can devastate areas of several kilometers. Based on the models that I did together with my colleagues, it is clear that in the case of an eruption of the Plinian or subplinian type, taking into account the shape of the flagrant fields and the fact that a part of the city of Naples, the historical center, is located near the flagrant fields, even a subplinian eruption could put three million people at risk. The safety of these people cannot be questioned based on the likelihood of an eruption. It is impossible to predict an eruption in neither short nor long term. Human safety should be based on preventive measures. That is, there must be an effective emergency plan which would make it possible to relocate the population from dangerous to a safety zone quickly, as far from the center of the eruption as possible, and also facilitate the stage of evacuation in case of an eruption. And so it is necessary that authorities, government bodies, are prepared for the fact that one day they will have to decide on evacuation of people, at risk of evacuating the population erroneously because of the threat of an eruption that has manifested itself but hasn't come true. However, this is the best alternative to inaction, which could entail a loss of a huge number of human lives, millions of people. Especially today, when we see that volcanic activity has intensified in many places, earthquakes are happening everywhere due to the fact that there is no warning system about the likelihood of eruptions of volcanoes, it is important to make a decision on evacuating people in advance. Yes, because many eruptions of recent years, from Merapi in 2010 to Agung Sinabung, as well as in the case of Montpellier and Pinatubo in 1991, the authorities found themselves in a situation where they evacuated the population immediately before the eruption and even during the eruption. For example, in the case of Merapi, where the population was evacuated during the eruption, the risk was underestimated because the red zone was limited to 10 kilometers. But in the time of the eruption, hot clouds, they weren't like Pelinian, much smaller. These hot clouds reached 20 kilometers, so it was necessary to evacuate more people during the eruption. 
Therefore, the organizations which prepare evacuation plans and focused everything as it would go according to a certain plan. In reality, display their defects. So that's why I'm saying there should be an evacuation plan ready for emergency situations. But there is nothing yet. I have been talking about this for many years. There is nothing neither for Vesuvio nor flagrant fields. There is an emergency plan, but it is not effective, because there is no evacuation plan. If all is done properly, there is some possibility to save people. But if the risk is underestimated, future catastrophe is inevitable. Thank you very much. I'd like to ask, in case of an eruption, not a super-eruption, but the kind you just mentioned, of flagrant fields, I think this eruption could impact the climate not only of the Italian territory, but of the whole Europe, right? We can say that such eruptions as the eruption of Vesuvius or the Plinian eruptions, in which cubic kilometers of magma are involved, usually do not cause serious changes. The flagrant fields, on the other hand, have the potential for climate change on a planetary level, but only in the case of a large eruption. An eruption of the size of the cubic kilometers of magma may have a partial effect on the climate. These effects can last several months or several years, but not more than that. However, it must be clarified that climate is something extremely complex, and we cannot easily predict how current processes that are not linear can affect the climate, and how such small events can contribute to climate disasters. This is a butterfly effect. We do not know what impact small events can have. According to quantitative analysis, a flagrant eruption does not have a huge impact on the climate. However, we do not know whether we are in a critical situation and if this event can trigger an acceleration of other processes. Do you think it makes sense for scientists to unite at the international level and for people who are directly interested in this problem? for everyone to unite to find a solution to this issue, exchange experience and knowledge, combine knowledge and energy to find a better solution to the upcoming climate catastrophes that await us. On the other hand, if this knowledge is not combined in advance, during peaceful times, while there are no catastrophes, then they will inevitably have to unite during major catastrophes. I also wanted to give an example from the island of Martinique, which was buried completely under ashes and lava of the volcano. It was at the beginning of the century. 
Giuseppe said that the volcano began to show very strong signs that very soon there will be a powerful eruption and which eventually happened. The island of Martinique was a prosperous island, and the government then said, Why are you panicking? Where can you find a better place to live than Martinique? Do you know why this happened? Because, as Giuseppe said, it was election time then. In 10 days there should have been elections, exactly the same time when the volcano began to show very serious signs of an approaching eruption. People wanted to leave the port and harbor by ships, but the government issued a ban on leaving the port. And there is evidence that only one ship out of 17 standing in the port went to sea. It was controlled by a Neapolitan captain. He said, if I saw our Vesuvius showing such signs in the morning, I would have left this place a long time ago. He, despite the orders, sailed his ship and was the only one with the crew who survived. So, it was the government who made such order. The newspapers were writing that everything was fine, despite the fact that there were already very serious signs. So, I wanted to add from myself, as a person living in our society today, when we were preparing for today's meeting, as well as for other Elatra TV projects on climate, such as breaking news, climate control, globally on climate, my friends and I contacted various scientists from around the world, and there were those scientists who said that everything is fine, nothing is happening, everything is wonderful and, well, maybe in 500,000 years something will happen. But participants of Elatra IPM, eyewitnesses from different countries of the world, send reports about climate catastrophes occurring in different countries of the world every day. And these are not just ordinary events, these are very serious events that take people's lives and make thousands of people climate refugees. So, I just would like to ask you, dear scientists, tell me, please, when tomorrow armed people come into my house, they will enter your house as well and your children's house. You know, this time, while you're sitting here being afraid and not telling the truth, knowing what is really happening. We can use this time to combine our knowledge and experience, warn people and do something right now. After all, tomorrow will be too late. I would also like to ask scientists who rely on sources and graphs that show that climate disasters are decreasing a question. The question is, eyewitnesses who become homeless every day without a piece of bread, how do you think they look at these graphs which show that everything is fine, that nothing is happening, and on the contrary, everything is getting better? They do not understand these graphs. And why do people who are supposed to help us understand, on the contrary, ignore the obvious facts?
But I also want to say that we, of course, do not put all responsibility on scientists, because what we are seeing now is that the participants of the Alatra IPM are taking on responsibility. Every person here doesn't justify himself by saying, I'm not a scientist, why do I need to know all of this? And what difference does it make to me? These are people who are truly working on themselves and who united to also help others. For their own example, they are showing that everything is in the hands of people themselves. And instead of turning a blind eye on what is happening, knowing how precious a human life is, because the first basis of Alatra says that the most important thing is a human life, they cannot remain indifferent, because they really care what happens to other people. And these people are telling the truth today. Once again, many thanks to everyone for what you are doing, friends. What does the line of the mass media lead to? What does misinformation lead to? What choices do people make while reading what the media presents to us? We would like to give a word to our participant Alexander, who will share with us his observations on the work of the media. Hello, my name is Alexander. I live in Bonn, Germany. With the participants of the Alatra IPM, we interviewed René, a photographer from Malta. We contacted him regarding the news that fish in Malta began to fall from the sky. But as a result, during the conversation, it turned out to be a lie. It was a lie of the media which was chasing after sensations and high ratings to attract attention for the sake of profit. What happened in reality is that a fishing net ripped and fish were scattered all over the road. And here the question arises. Can these organizations call themselves the media of information or a tool of misinformation? Thank you very much, Alexander. We have a person in the studio who is ready to share another striking example of the media working methods. Uh, we did a few weeks ago interviews with uh, social workers, with refugees in Vienna. And there was uh, one interesting interview we did with a social worker, uh, her name is Ariane, and she really uh, very clearly and openly shared with us uh, her understandings how media actually changed the pictures of all the refugees all around the, the Austria. At the beginning, when there was in 2015, first, first of the waves of the refugees, of the immigrants, people coming to the Austria, she said people were really uh, eager to help, to give a hand, to, to offer a place to stay, to offer food, water, basic uh, supplies and so on. And uh, they were really eager to help. But what happened after, media stepped in and kind of influenced this process. And they started showing uh, all the bad examples of what was happening. We cannot deny they do not happen, they actually do happen. But what they don't show, uh, they don't show the whole truth. They show only one side. They don't show as well that all those people there as well, they are like us. They have the same wishes. They want to live uh, happily. They want to live in joy. 
they want to have families, they want to have work and so on. And this is actually what she said, that uh, the media are kind of putting all those ideas and thoughts in the people's minds. And what actually happens here is that uh, a division is happening between refugees and local people. And this is very important because then people, they see all those refugees as someone who is bad, who is doing only the bad stuff. They don't see them as, as people as we are. I do have to say, if, if we start in 2015, mm -hmm. um, one could recognize a really uh, huge solidarity in the, in the uh, society here in Austria. And everybody was thinking, I do need to help. How, how, how can I help? I must help. I want to do anything I can. Sadly, this situation changed now, a, bit, uh, a few years later. And what's the reason for me is the radicalization of language. In the media, you can follow up a discussion which is getting worse and worse. And it's um, possible to say things that haven't been possible some years ago. They started out with um, Flüchtlingswelle, like a wave that's overwhelming you, which leaves you, I don't know, without air, no space, anything. Sozial. Flüchtlinge, Sozialschmarotzer, so that they are implicing that uh, people only come for our social system. Mm -hmm. they, they totally um, neglecting that they, um, that they had to flee because of any fears, because of, any, uh, of a war. Mm -hmm. Or may it be like Africans because they don't have any chances or, or food. The, these are the words which, which you can hear nowadays. Or, for example, if a politician is saying people that um, use the, the Mindestsicherung are just too um, lazy to stand up or something. It's not just about refugees. It's actually, it's more poor against poor. Mm -hmm. What I do have to say is that people who come here, may it be Africans or Syrians, what they really want to do is they want to work. Mm -hmm. Why do they want to work? Because they want to support their families and their home countries. So the main reason they come here and, and the main belief mm -hmm. why they come here is because they think here they can get a good job, I would say well paid, quickly. And then they see that it's much more difficult that, that uh, the system is doing anything to, to avoid them from, from the job market. Yeah, and, and that they don't have any possibilities. And the worst, the worst thing that happens then is when you don't give people chances, uh, it's only natural that they are getting uh, or that they are falling into lethargy. Today, all of our comments in the program lead to, let's say, a specific person. It's clear that it's much easier to find an external enemy. Whether it's the media, the government, some unscrupulous scientist, or, like Igor Mikhailovich pointed out in a program, maybe a neighbor is to blame for all of our troubles. But I would like to turn to every specific person, to self. What choice do I make? What responsibility lies on me? 
regarding the spread of information, regarding the consumption of information, and in general, what is my role in all of this? In general, we can say that modern society prefers not to notice the impending disasters. But in reality, it seems to me that there is a fear of taking responsibility and shifting this responsibility onto the media. And in the media, what we see, we see lies, in fact. Lies that are being broadcasted every day, including climate change. And a person is designed in such a way that it is easier for him to believe in this lie than to accept and realize the truth and begin acting according to this truth. What is the key to solving any problem? First of all, it is recognizing that this problem exists. And in this case, we are talking about the problem of all people. That is, it is not a problem of someone specific. It is a problem of the entire human civilization. In order for this information to become available to the majority of people, the media plays a key role. But here, first of all, society itself must demand from the media to tell the truth, popularize that which creates, not that which destroys. After all, we all understand that the information that prevails today in the media, it forms tomorrow. So society becomes exactly that. And if people are ready to openly declare that they do not want to consume some second-class goods, lies or anything negative, they should declare instead that they strive to revive spiritual and moral values in society, so that they later become the basis for the development of our civilization. And that's when everyone, ordinary people, will talk about it. And one doesn't have to be famous for it, thanks to the internet being available to everyone. Just declare your intention, your firm confidence, and desire to live in a normal, civilized society. Because we understand from the information that was brought up today that our civilization is otherwise doomed. But if we want to survive, then we must begin to tell the truth. Those climate cataclysms that await us can only be overcome by a spiritually mature society in which each person is a friend and where exists an inner understanding that this person is the same as me. He has the same purpose of life and there are no boundaries between us. And it doesn't matter whether this person came to my house or I came to his. We have a common home and we don't have to fight over anything. And when the media starts talking about it now, not later, it will be too late. Then there will be no television, no newspapers, no internet in the usual sense. It will be too late to talk then. We need to talk now. Indeed. Starting to tell the truth is one of the ways to improve the situation. Unfortunately, few are telling the truth today. Because of this, people make the wrong choice. We know that there is let's say, a category of people who understand what is happening. They know about the global cataclysms that are happening right now and the force they will come crashing down on us in the very near future. I would like to ask a question. What values do these people live by and how do they prepare for these events? Hello, my name is Sylvia. I live in the Netherlands. I'm a prepper. I will say right away that the community of preppers is rather divided. 
because some support an opinion that there are more chances to survive alone, while a few support the idea of unification. But who is a prepper? The word prepper is derived from the English word preparation, and in Russian we are simply called survivors. These are people preparing for the end of the world in one form or another. Preppers have a scenario for how they will behave in emergency situations and under extreme conditions. I would also like to share some interesting thoughts that came after watching the programs with participation of Igor Mikhailovich Danilov, It is Coming, and Climate, The Future is Now. Is it appropriate to only have an evacuation plan and resources ready, knowing that if something happens, I personally can sit out in my shelter? But I will also understand that outside my window are the same people as I who survived the moment of common disaster. It just becomes a very acute question after understanding how a prepper thinks, that he thinks very practically. But it turns out there are some inconsistencies. We have plans, but we also understand that even with the help of these plans, survival is limited. Because there is no humanity, there is no basis, no basis for survival. And a prepper, first of all, is a survivor. And the question arises, isn't it necessary to first cultivate this humanity in yourself? And this will be the real preparation. So, the basis has to be built first, so that later, under any conditions and in any situation, you can use this basis for survival. Canned food and as such is not bad. You are more than welcome to. To a reasonable extent, it's all good. But the most important basis for survival today, this has been spoken about many times, with various examples. Also, Haiti's example really touched. If there is no basis for humanity, there will be nothing. That is, it will be just a short delay and a very scary one. After a cataclysm that can happen in nature, Yes, you will survive, but for how long and what's after? That is, it is not survival, it is utopia. Humanity must be cultivated now, so that later you can be a human and unite. That is, this must be done together. Looking at various comments under videos with cataclysms that are occurring today, such comments are often found. It's okay, I have a gun, I have a lot of supplies, I will handle it. To read this, it's horrible to hear this, but this is the truth. There are a lot of such comments, unfortunately. And I just want to ask a question. Given the magnitude of these cataclysms, given the fact that they are occurring when people are not ready for them and in those places in which they should not be occurring, we can't say which territory will be really safe, but this is not the point. Such thinking, I would even say inhumane, it's okay. If someone will be breaking into my house, I have a gun. And my question is simple. What will you shoot for and take this gun into your hands to protect your supplies? So this is the preparation? Are you really the kind of person who writes stuff like this? Well, just think about it. Is this true preparation? And another question. Today you are in your house. And tomorrow you have to go to another place. And what do you expect? Do you want others to meet you with a gun 
because they're preserving their supplies? Really? And after all, is this humane? Therefore, what kind of society do we want to live in? Everyone can ask themselves this question. Do we want to live in a society where everyone is shooting each other? Or do we want to live in a society in which no matter where you end up, you will find a helping hand, you will be helped wherever you are? Indeed, this is a very vivid example, what you see in these comments and in people's reactions. There is another side to this issue. When we were preparing for our meeting, we interviewed people on the streets, asking them if they are ready to become refugees. Usually the answer was no, or I never thought about it. Very often there was a statement like, maybe cataclysms are necessary for people to unite in one way or another. And perhaps in that moment people will unite and show their humanity. They will strive for peaceful coexistence so that they can truly survive and have a chance of survival. But do we know any examples where cataclysms really united all people? Reality shows exactly the opposite. Therefore, it is extremely important to truly see what is happening in society today. And truly, the role of spiritual and moral values of every person is greatly underestimated in society today. Perhaps today this is the key question — to be or not to be, to be human or not to be at all. How people behave in such situations and why this problem arises from the point of view of psychology. A human is dual in his nature, but psychologists and classical psychology don't accept that. It accepts only one side of a human — his animal nature. This is his animal part. So, we are considered as people who… We have our animal side, we have our instincts, we have our emotions and other manifestations that are animalistic. And we have an intellect, cognitive, which controls it all. And so, psychology, what does it do? It helps to find those strategies and methods to help control this animal nature through the cognitive, through the intellect. We feel good when we control ourselves, when our animal nature is under control. As soon as it gets out of control, we feel some emotions, some aggression and so on, and we are running to a psychologist, our control system seems to be failing. Everything is good when our animal is doing good. There is food, there is comfort, there is a roof over our head, it's calm and we are in control. But when a situation arises in which our animal needs to survive, a threat to life arises, then our control system, the cognitive system that we have developed for ourselves, seems to stop working, because our body is programmed for self-survival at any cost. And when this program turns on, a hormonal system starts working, shutting off all other systems that interfere with it. If it is a sudden stressful situation with a matter of survival or a natural disaster or something else, then the system will not work. That is, your intellect, your cognitive, no matter what you stimulate there, no matter if things are good, moral and spiritual and what not, all of this will not work because the animal system turns on. And then the question arises, what else should be in a person which is stronger than his animal part? 
And this is exactly our spiritual part, that which psychologists deny because they think it is to do with religion. It is not for us, it is unscientific. And I believe that as we are teaching a person to control his emotions and as such since childhood, moral and spiritual values should be developed in a person at the same time. It's love for the neighbor, it is what is above some animalistic ideas, and it must be developed now. Because when it happens, when problems and catastrophes arise, and if this part is not developed at that moment, the love for our neighbor, our spiritual values, then a person turns into an animal. That is, we don't even know how he will behave, we don't know. So now, while we have food, while we have the comfort, we need to develop in ourselves this part which will be bigger than the animal part, the intellect and everything else. This is what humanity is. And I, as psychologist, I see that the problem of all people is that we forgot how to love. And I believe that love for something higher, those moral and spiritual values that should be in a person, they will prevail in difficult times and will not allow one to lose human dignity. Everyone hearing this real, truthful information today can ask themselves a question, which may sound in his head, what will we do with refugees? And what will we do as refugees in the near future? The question remains open. Will we be people in the true meaning of this word, or will we cease to exist? Yes, thank you very much. Where to start? First of all, we must, as an individual, each individual begin with himself, meaning to start to change yourself, to develop the spiritual component in yourself. And first of all, pay attention to this. Without unification on spiritual and moral qualities, society is simply going to fall off the cliff. The experience of a latter participants shows that it is possible to act together in the interests of all people, in the interests of the spiritual and moral development of mankind. It is necessary to act here and now, without delay. Tomorrow will be too late. and how we view each other and if we view it if we view people through a prism of fear then we are going to be fearful and we are going to be scared and we are going to already predict a negative outcome or, or experience and that will happen there will be a negative experience because we've gone into it with with closed mentality what I believe is if we view people and situations and with curiosity first, like we need to be just be curious, and then the curiosity will allow us to, to, to become interested in others and cultures and ideas and to and then the fear will, will hopefully be 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 dropped and, and then once that's dropped I think there's a more open space to be able to um, I think the idea really is to be able to share like to 
The problem is that people fear that people are taking, going to, to take something from them. And this is what politicians and media are, are giving, whether it be gonna, they're going to take your job or they're going to take your house, or they can, and then automatically we put up our own wall or barrier. And that will, that's just, once that's up, you can forget about any sort of positive interaction. So I think, you know, through curiosity and interest and, 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 and through sharing, like understanding that we all can, can benefit in lots, of, in lots of different ways. So we can do that through culture. We can do that through music. We can do that through film. We can do that through food. We can do it through sport. We can do that through kind of coming together and realizing the things that we have sort of in common rather than the rather than the differences and I think that in a lot of ways like a, a more mainstream media doesn't help this because um, when you just focus on a dramatic event when you just see people drowning at sea when you just see these images of distress when you, I, it's very hard for anybody to relate to these when you just call people refugees but you don't give them names when you just call them numbers when you just see dramatic events I can't relate to that on a on a on, a, on any sort of personal level so I think all of these like if we can discover many more ways to relate to people on a on a, on a personal level that sort of smashes this um, yeah imaginary barrier that's there but we have a responsibility to do is not just tell negative stories from these places also so and we should also be making projects that celebrate people and culture and stories and, and diversity and, and and not just focusing on negative um, negative stories so I think that we can add to that as well by yeah by, by celebrating and sharing you know, different cultures. That's one of the only ways to actually get people engaged and, and involved in, in wanting to change the, um, the situation. So I think whether it be films, whether it be awareness campaigns, the work that you're doing, it's, it's just trying to get people involved and engaged and passionate about the issues. And most of the time we must do that by showing people how that also impacts on us. Whether that's a right way or a wrong way, I think that's 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 how we need to uh, address these things. How do we think people can help each other in every situation, opening their yeah, hearts? Well, yeah, but we have to see each other as as similar to us. Like we have to have some. If we if we have fear and if we have a barrier, it, it's just much more difficult for people to to want to engage with. Um, the other but uh, conversations such as this and hearing what you guys are doing also gives me uh, confidence so thank you very much for your interest today we heard a lot of very critical examples of what really dominates in society at the moment what people live for what values we have and whether there is really an opportunity to change this situation based on what we can do because we realized that we cannot influence the upcoming and current disasters. But what can we change? My name is Varketa. I'm from the Czech Republic. And I would like to share the experience 
that again through the International Universal Grain Social Research Project. Thanks to this project, I managed to talk with a lot of people from many countries of the world. And the questions we asked were on the basis of the Universal Grain Project. Questions that very clearly show the value of life. And these were questions about what is hidden inside of a person, what true love is in its highest sense, and about the duality of a person. And honestly, I can say that people from all over the world were saying the same thing. Everyone answered that they want to live in a world where people are brothers and sisters. They want to live in a world where people support each other, where good and harmony prevail, where everyone understands that love is what is hidden inside of each person. Love is Alatra. The Alatra International Public Movement is love and practice. It is an opportunity for us all to learn about this love and find out who we truly are. The biggest problem of today's humanity is that we just forgot that we are people. We just forgot about who we are and where we are from, what our goal and where we are going. And I'm just talking about God. I'm talking about the purpose of our life. Thanks to the activities of the participants of all other international public movement, and also thanks to the Universal Grain Project, which for me is a great example of real life, we are able to realize this, who we are, and this universal grain which exists in all religions, in all cultures, is Alatra. I would like to thank everyone. And we do not end this game. It depends on us how it ends. Either with victory or with something else. I found out for myself that if I can change, then we can all change. And this is absolutely true for all of us. We only need to remove the I and put we in front of it. And everything will work out. Looking at the participants of Alatra IPM at such projects as emergency news, climate control, we see that they really have a goal of telling people the truth and presenting the real facts of what is happening. Not only locally, but on the entire planet. And they convey this in a format that is clear to all people. And this is really the media of a new format. These people come together on a volunteer basis and do not require any kind of funding. 
They act because they feel the need to be a human, to be the one who is ready to help other people and who, by getting together, convey what is really going on in their country. People from many countries participate, from many continents are uniting. But they also have a goal to convey to others what is happening. Many thanks to all the members of a lateral movement for your honest, sincere and very good work. Thank you very much. Today, we heard shocking examples of what is happening in our modern society during climate disasters. We heard examples that caused us to have goosebumps, and this is happening today, now. And I just wanted to tell you that today, Alatra IPM and each of its participants are a stronghold for modern civilization, and this is the only chance for modern civilization which is simply drowning today. The Alatra IPM implements projects aimed at helping people, aimed at ensuring that people all over the world are united on the basis of spiritual and moral values that are common to all of us. And the fact is that these are not just words and slogans. Various organizations speak of virtue, friendship, but our world lives in horror. This is truly an inhumane world with inhumane relationships. And here is an example of the participants of Elatra IPM who work not for themselves, but for other people. All meetings, projects, conferences are aimed at bringing people the truth, to inform people about what is really happening and how we can change our nearest future today. And to change is not simply a word. Because in the programs with participation of Igor Mikhailovich Danilov, such as This is Coming and Climate, the Future is Now, it says what our consumer society can expect if we do not change our inner. Indeed, in fact, this is absolutely true. And these are not fairy tales at all. This is the reality of today, which is confirmed by today's speakers, friends, participants of the latter movement. And I would like to say, that every person who joins a letter IPM today as a result of his sincere intentions, his pure soul, why does he do it? Because a letter reveals every person his true purpose of such precious life, the true purpose of our only and such valuable human life. After all, it has a real purpose, that which does not involve consumerism, selfishness, constant running around and competition with another person, who, in fact, should be the dearest person to you, because this is real human nature. Alatra reveals this knowledge, and Alatra is inside. It unites every person who is not indifferent, every kind person. People are responding to this. People simply cannot be indifferent, observing what is happening in the world today and in their own country. Participants of our programs and eyewitnesses of climate disasters 
they simply cannot stay indifferent, and when joining the electoral movement, they don't keep silent. And they act for the good of people. I would like to say about our meeting today. You know, for volunteers of Elatra IPM, this is not a hobby, not an entertainment, and not just part of life. It is the life. Elatra is life. Today we are here from different parts of the world. For some, it's an early morning, for others, it's a late night, and no one left. Why? Because we know what's going on. We really need to convey the truth, tell that life is precious, and now we are on the verge. And only by uniting we can survive. We can survive the spirit of global cataclysms, which has already begun. Elatra is love. Elatra is love in action. Elatra lives in a person. Elatra is what unites all of us. And we are very grateful for everyone who is the participant of Elatra IPM. And these are people of different social statuses, people of different religions, different cultures and nationalities, who united selflessly in order to bring truth to all people on Earth. Because for each participant of Elatra International Public Movement, another human is the closest human. Indeed, now many had spoken of what kind of society we can have when people live by their inner, when people live by their spiritual and moral values, humanity, something that is close and understandable to everyone. And today we gave an example of such a society. These are the participants of the Elatra movement who are really doing a lot for this world, for civilization, for every person. But what I want to say is that today Elatra manifests an exception to the modern materialistic society. Looking at what is happening in the world today, it becomes of course clear and obvious, and this is the fact, that global climatic cataclysms are inevitable. And of course, as Igor Mikhailovich Danilov says in the program Climate, the Future is Now, that if those who are even a little alive stop being silent and unite, we can survive, but we can only survive together. Therefore, the choice today is up to each person. Global climate change we observe on the planet is already happening. Do we really need to wait for the point of no return to begin to act, to begin to change something? Maybe it's time to start now and to understand the value of life, to begin, first of all, with yourself. The current game of professionals' climate, the future is now, is just the first step. This is a step made by people who declare their position, their choice not to be silent, to inform society, to share the information that really gives a chance for survival. But what choice people make, each individual person, depends on everyone who hears it. We invite all specialists, professionals, scientists from various fields of science for cooperation. Together, we can really do a lot, but only if we unite. Thank you for your attention and participation. Thank you.
But if there is at least one chance, we have to take it. And we have to take it together. And we are certainly not trying to exaggerate. We are talking about what's really going on. And we are talking about that chance which all of us, as humanity, can really use. This is our chance, our common chance. Whether we use it or not, depends on each of us. And in this case, on every single one of us.